Okay, I think we're live. Good morning, everyone. Today is Saturday, March 11th, um, and we have another session of the Saturday Free School for Philosophy and Black Liberation. Um, today, we're going to give updates on our upcoming Korea event, as well as continuing our reading, returning back to our reading of Black Reconstruction. But before we do all of that, I wanted to hand it over to Dr. Montero, um, who is going to talk about the world situation. Well, thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. I'm not going to talk about the world situation. I just want to talk about, uh, I guess it's the world situation, uh, the reestablishment of diplomatic relations between uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, you know, and this is a huge thing because it was brokered by the Chinese. Uh, there's so many uh, implications to this. Uh, I was reading articles in the New York Times and the Financial Times, and believe me, uh, if you want to be confused, read those newspapers. Uh, on the one side, they write like petulant children uh, trying to convince their readers, well, this is not such a big deal. Don't don't fear it, uh, that, uh, yeah, China's making certain moves, but all of this is only temporary. Uh, this is huge. First of all, I think what we're, what we're witnessing is an end to the concept of the Middle East, uh, which was a way of defining uh, that geography of West Asia, uh, and one could even say uh, Northeast Africa, uh, to define it in a pro-colonialist way. That whole definition arose out of British colonialism. Uh, the two countries are part of Asia, uh, and the deal was brokered by an Asian country, China. And so, uh, to use Du Bois's concept, it uh, it looks like uh, a further step towards Pan Asia, uh, and if Saudi Arabia and Iran could take steps towards a situation of what we could call peaceful coexistence, uh, it shouldn't be that difficult for China and uh, India to make similar steps. But the implications of this are huge. Um, Saudi Arabia uh, has stated that it wishes to become a part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is an organization of China, Russia, and a number of Central Asian states. Uh, it is a, uh, a developing, it's about, uh, maybe 25 years old, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and it was formed in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, its principal objective in the beginning was anti-terrorism, that is, to prevent the rise of, um, of Al-Qaeda-type organizations, which, by the way, uh, for the most part, are linked to the United States, uh, and U.S. military objectives, but to uh, protect Russia and other states in Central Asia, including China, from uh, terrorism. 
And now Saudi Arabia has said it wants to be a part of that. Uh, uh, Iran is already a part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, it also looks like Saudi Arabia will petition to become a part of the uh, Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, which Iran is already a part of. Uh, Saudi Arabia is ditching uh, the petrodollar uh, and increasingly substituting the petro uh, uh, remimbi uh, or yuan, which is the Chinese currency. In other words, uh, Saudi Arabia will uh, trade its oil with China in the yuan, the petro yuan. Part of what has given the U.S. all of this uh, power, misused as it were, uh, in world economic relations and its uh, inordinate ability to impose sanctions, financial and otherwise, upon nations is based upon the fact that Saudi Arabia agreed about in 1971 that it would only trade its oil in dollars or petrodollars so every country that imports oil, especially from Saudi Arabia, would have to have a reserve of dollars in its central bank to pay for oil uh, from the Gulf states and especially Saudi Arabia. That is coming to an end. This is a blow to the... Um, to dollar hegemony, as we call it. Uh, and one could readily see a new global financial architecture, which is not controlled by the US uh, and the dollar and, does, and takes away from the US this inordinate power to destroy economies through sanctions and threats of sanctions as they did with uh, with India at the onset of the um, of the uh, war in Ukraine, and saying to India, if you import Russian oil, we're going to we're thinking of imposing sanctions upon you. Well, increasingly, the weapon of U.S. sanctions is going to be taken away from it. The other thing is uh, the reinstatement of international law as the law between nations and not this U.S. thing of a rules-based system. And nobody knows what the rules are except the United States. Um, uh, this is huge. I, I, I would just say we should keep our eyes on it. It's something that we have spoken about, you know, a lot of times in free school. Um, but the world that we live in is changing. The center of power is moving away from the United States and its European allies, which I think won't be its allies for too much longer because they're gonna see the handwriting on the wall and nations, especially Germany, but others in Central Europe and West Europe, uh, uh, just for their own economic interests will have to 
comply with this new world that is coming into being. Uh, just about uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the, uh, as I say, de facto leader of government in Saudi Arabia. I don't know that there has been such a leader so independent-minded as this uh, guy is. Uh, he is unique, uh, which means that there is a whole uh, group of, of political strategists and thinkers in Saudi Arabia that have assessed the world, Saudi Arabia's place in it, and what the future will look like for the world itself and for them in particular. So I just wanted to bring that up. The other thing is closer to home, and that is the collapse of this bank in California called the Silicon Valley Bank, which we could say the high-tech bank, the bank of social media and high-tech entrepreneurship. Uh, the first question that, that you have to ask is, is it a bank? And really, what is a bank? Because it seemed to look more like a hedge fund, uh, uh, parading or imitating or, or saying it's a bank. But nonetheless, um, the only uh, bank of a similar magnitude uh, to have collapsed was the Bank of Washington in uh, 2008. Now, you know, just, just to get some things clear, none of us, least of all me, understands what is going on in this labyrinth called the financial system or the banking system. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, everything occurs in the dark, 96% uh, of the deposits in this bank were over the $250,000 that is insured by the, the federal government. So in other words, most of the investors in this bank uh, will not, uh, uh, what they had invested will not be insured because 96% of them was, were way beyond uh, the $250,000 thing. So it's not a bank unless you say it is a bank for those who invest in it and it manages their investments like a hedge fund would, would manage investment. Uh, and... We have to keep our eye on it for this reason, because it raises the question, does the federal government bail out these investors while people in the state of Washington and other states are having their food subsidies cut, while people in uh, West Palestine still don't know what their futures are, whether they'll be able to live, while a city like Philadelphia is the poorest of the big cities in the country with an open air drug market that far exceeds anything else in the country, probably in the world. And we're going to bail out these reckless billionaires 
who are not unlike the reckless and corrupt billionaires that run the Ukrainian state. This is so important and we have to keep our eyes on it. Um, because clearly the question of this bank will be an issue in the 2024 presidential election. If Trump runs on something that looks vaguely like a working class protest, if he is, as he says, your retribution against the elites, he will have to run against these practices that impoverish the working people and the lower middle class and the poor. But at the end of the day, even with these failing banks, the big investors come out better than when the thing started. Uh, and then, of course, uh, when all of this is tied up to the war uh, in Ukraine, uh, it's just, you, as you can see, a very interconnected world. Uh, and I don't want to, you know, I can't hold myself back. Uh, it is so disturbing to me that we have a peace march next Saturday whose major purpose is not peace. Peace might be part of their objectives. But the major objective is to diminish the peace march that occurred a month ago. When did we have such a luxury of political brinksmanship by groups that claim to be a coalition of micro mini organizations that very few people have ever heard of but who find it difficult in their demands to link the repression at home, the impoverishment of the working class and of the middle classes uh, to war and economic exploitation. They don't do it. And uh, I'll just stop. That's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much, Emily. Yeah, so there's a pause because I was taking notes. Yeah, well, you just said about, because when I started hearing you talk about, like, the Saudi Arabia and Iran brokered by China, that change, like there's, I think we've said it before in free school, but just the magnitude of how the world is changing. Like there's a new world order clearly emerging and it's pretty concrete. But then especially when you started talking about the Silicon Valley Bank and how these, like you were just describing how there will be billionaires who will be bailed out. And then like, I am going to just bring up Biden's budget proposal in the sense that people keep saying, oh, it's not, it's a dead budget. Like he's, he's coming to Philadelphia, working class Northeast Philly at some like union hall 
to propose a dead budget. Like just that setting that scene, but then you have just this past month, past month, like a movement of people, almost like quote unquote unlikely forces together, all like coming together because they're so angry at the CIA, the consensus of the intelligence, military complex, politi politicians, and just hearing you talk about all of this, it made me actually, yeah, really angry about the March March. Because it is essentially going, you have to say that it is basically going against this coalition of the discontented. And it's going against like any sense of a movement of people in America who are basically saying like, I wanna shake off, I'm trying to shake off the chains of a government that insists on governing me when it cannot govern. And I think that is important. Like, I actually think that's very important for people, anyone trying to get a sense of like, oh, what's going on with this March March? Like, you have to see in the sense that why are you so insistent on pushing your own agenda rather than being connected to the February March? Because at the end of the day, this is all for the people. It's all for a people, like the people of East Palestine, like you were saying. And then there's like people keep talking about how there are more train wrecks and there's so many train wrecks, the news can't even keep up with how many train wrecks there are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just really, yeah, I just really appreciated you saying like connecting all this together because I think it is connected. And to me, I keep saying it, but I just think it's like, I keep saying that the February, March, it's almost like the wildest dreams to see like, especially white people, for example, white people who are like, I'm done with the status quo, like down with the CIA. When have you ever heard that? <laughs> and then for this march march to claim like to they're not just saying like oh we're marching for peace in march they're actually what they're saying is we're going like we're purposely trying like you said we're purposely trying to go against the february march that doesn't make sense to me so i just wanted to add that Well, if no one has any other comments, we can go to updates on Korea. But I guess I'll read some responses to that opening doc. Daryl Wasteland Mitchell says, excellent summation, excellent summation of dollar hegemony based on the petrodollar. Game mm -hmm. over, original dollar hegemony article 2002. And then he links. Could you, could you say that last part again? He says, um, uh, game over original dollar hegemony article from 2002 and then he links an article about the dollar hegemony um and then a dj elf has some comments i'm gonna try to some trying to going to try to sum them up um he says i respect your passion for fighting war and appreciate you um but no talk Dissent is okay. No talk to the workers at the People's Party. Um, I think it's him um, going against the People's Party, just saying that he, he, from his experience, they monopolize the resources and access. Um, and then just some other people are tuning in, just saying good morning, um, like Don DeBar, Todd Doherty, um, some others. Um, I actually had one thing to say about 
the uh, restoration of diplomatic relations between uh, Riyadh and Tehran. Um, I, I actually also read some of these New York Times-like articles, and then um, I had a I had a friend send me some articles as well from uh, from China in Chinese, which she translated for me, and she sent them over. Um, and I was thinking that this might actually be the beginning of something. This might be the beginning of other Middle Eastern nations also looking towards China to broker peace between them. You know, something, uh, you know, these, uh, these tensions which have been built up over years because of U.S. and Western interference, they might actually start to, uh, the, the nations might actually start to say, okay, no, we're not looking to the West anymore. We're not falling for them. We're going to look towards the East. We're going to look at China to actually strengthen our bonds. And I have a feeling that, you know, two things are going to happen, that China is going to keep doing this. They're going to keep trying to broker peace between these nations, um, maintaining the, that, you know, they do not have uh, geopolitical and economic interests in the nation, which is why they're doing it. And at the same time, the US and the West are going to insist that that is the reason why China is doing it. And, you know, Purba and I were talking this morning and she also said that, you know, this is where it begins. This is where all the human rights violations in Saudi Arabia and Iran, those kinds of uh, allegations start to pop up as well. Um, yeah, so I, I think we are going to see uh, China f fighting the U.S. and we, we are actually going to see the, the U.S. for once um, being uh, on the back foot in this scenario. I think even in our conversation and talking about the February March and also the world situation, something that was clarified to me is how the reason why February, the March in February was significant is that it, rep it represents a new phenomenon in America with the changing world situation. Because I think an argument that people make with the March March is that they're the originals and they're the ones that should be championing um, like a cause for the people. And I think, you know, Doc, you were clear in terms of actually our disagreements with that. But I think the important thing is that to recognize the February March as a new phenomenon of people mm -hmm. in America being transformed because of the world situation and because of mm -hmm. America's war policies abroad. And it's this new phenomenon that I think the free school is also trying to understand. Like who are like who are these people who are starting, who may not be the most perfect, such as someone like Trump, um, but there's a shift in their consciousness because of what's changing in the world. Um, and I don't think that that's something that the March in March fully captures or understands. You know, the phenomenon of Trump, the phenomenon of white people in this country, and the phenomenon of even like people in the military in the past who, because of their closeness to the state, 
are recognizing actually that there's a contradiction. Um, and I think that's significant. Um, and the other piece is with the brokering of um, like relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Like, I think it is significant because it's speaking to a new world order, a new way in which politics is done, where it's not these large powers that are, you know, um, dictating what relations between countries are, but actually like what diplomacy means, where, you know, there is China in brokering or negotiate, or I guess in the mix but it's actually a difference from the old world order in which the U.S. has dictated relations between nations. Um, and I think that's what's significant in seeing um, uh, this uh, emergence or flourishing that's allowed to happen. Like what happens when nations are able to talk to one another um, unbridled by you know, overall um, U.S. or Western pressures? Well, I, just to build on that, uh, this thing about uh, ch the changing world order, I think one thing that the Black Reconstruction Symposium, but also what we are talking about, the Korea event, I think one of the central themes there is the American people joining world humanity in their struggle towards, you know, higher forms of democracy, higher freedom, and actually the truth. And just, you know, hearing about this uh, peace deal that was brokered by China between Saudi Arabia and Iran after seven years of no diplomatic relations. It really makes it, it clarifies the how like how urgent it is that the, the current ruling class is defeated because they take the American people away from, you know, or like isolated from these huge changes taking place in the world because the world is moving forward and America can't get left behind just because, you know, uh, some people have decided that they are the, you know, ones who arbitrate how pe a peace movement in America will look like, but also in general, you know, what, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel bad because I everything I want to say is about things that I'm thinking about for my presentation for the upcoming Korea event, but it is really this thing of, like you're, you pointed out, you reminded me of what Jahan said, Doc, but how Jahan was like, isn't it significant that the February March is at the Lincoln Memorial? Like they, they deliberately chose, and even if people are not totally conscious of it, but I do think people are, like that's a place beyond just like Lincoln. I don't even know how many people go to the Lincoln Memorial, like just for Lincoln, but it's the place of the civil rights movement, the March on Washington. And in this time of why is it that in this time of crisis people are searching for this lasting legacy of king like what about that mm -hmm. and i think people are searching for because it's kind of what what purpose said like what you said reminded me of this because like what you just said about how like it's clear people can feel there's a new era like the old era of old relations, like whether you want to call it Cold War or American hegemony or what, like it's just not, it's not sustainable. It's, the world is already changing. And it's not, I think people in America, there's this feeling of it's so, we don't, we're not okay with this anymore to be left behind. 
like and now what you see is you see a American and American people who showing up at the Lincoln Memorial they're looking for something they're looking for the path forward how do we be how can we be free like how do we create something new to free ourselves of a government that no longer represents us or our interests um and I think that's the thing people feel like people like we've um, given the statistic about how the American people are more anti-war today than they even they even were in the 60s. And I think there is this feeling of the American people being like, I don't want to be involved in other people's business anymore. Can we focus on our business first? Like, I don't want to put my energy in putting like down a world that's literally rising together. Like, can we focus on our own business first? And I just think that's really deep about the Lincoln Memorial. Like people, I do think people are coming back to King because that's where you have to go if you're thinking of how do we move forward? Like, how do we become free? You have to go back to King and that movement that qualitatively changed the American people, but also like there's something in King's vision that still stands to this day. It's what you said, Doc, where you were like, it's like this thing of, like, how is it that the March March is not connecting what's happening abroad to what's happening at home? Like, that's the fundamental connection. And, oh, there's something else I was gonna say. Yeah, oh yeah, because you also, like, also the March March is not going to the Lincoln Memorial. They're only at the White House. Like that's, and I think that's significant um, that the February March, it was like, let's first, let us return to that place where King spoke. Um, yeah, you don't have that. Like, you don't have that with the March March. And I think that's and I think that's something they should reflect on, honestly. Well, I was gonna say um, something that I just thought about, and it builds on how we've been talking about um, the anti-war rally for a couple months now, and also the rally, the counter rally that's happening in March. Um, I think we keep returning to this idea also because there's a deep, there's a deep political, there's a political depth to what's happening, but there's also an undeniable creativity that comes back to this idea of the emergence of a new American people. And something I'm really thinking about is why it's emerging among like this sociological category of people. You know, these like ordinary workers or these working people, a lot of whom are white, um, because it's not enough to say that there's just plain discontent. I think that really the way that we're analyzing the situation, there's there's like color and there's creativity in the way a people is moving or like a people mm -hmm. is developing. And I also say this because it's so discordant with how much it feels like other sociological sections of American people like aren't moving, you know, if anything, they're becoming more ossified or like, yeah, they're not moving at all. And what I'm thinking is, for example, the people of the academic world or like the professional managerial class, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. their, deepening, their conviction that America is only degrading, mm -hmm. only getting worse is deepening. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, like we, we're seeing something very fertile, which is why we keep talking about it. And, um, I just can't completely wrap my head around it yet, but I find it so interesting. And yeah, I am curious like what everyone else thinks. 
Yeah, I was also thinking about the professional managerial class concept because to organize a march against another peace march, to say like, <laughs> my march is going to be the right one. It's going to have the right politics, you know? But I mean, who are you to decide? The people decide. You know what I mean, and you know, it's a, it's a dialectical relationship, but uh, it is this kind of, yeah, it's like trying to replace the old managerial class with the new one, or it's part of the same one, which is why it's not a genuine uh, peace march. And I've just been thinking about this a lot because, um, I mean, even just, I, I started using this software called Grammarly. Um, I just use it for editing and stuff. And I was, I was editing some things I was writing for some academic work. The way it was correcting my language to be more inclusive, I was like, this is, this is just one tenth of what people must feel, you know, working people must feel. You can't say, um, you can't say statesmen anymore, be more inclusive, say politicians. But I want to say statesmen because I'm talking about Charles Sumner, they're statesmen, you know, they, and I, I would call a woman a statesman too. You know, because it means something, something that we've lost. Or even like I was, I was like you're writing about Du Bois and the black worker and how the slave is also a worker. Don't say slave. Say enslaved person. Don't say slave owner. Say enslaver. And it's just like, you know, I mean, if the people who are changing the language, Du Bois doesn't use this language. The people who are changing the language are actually changing the essence of the words, of the sentiments. And it's just completely abandoning the search for truth for this very superficial dressing. And it kind of reminds me of this march a little bit where it's like, oh, we're also gonna talk about Palestine. We're also gonna talk about free Mumia. And it's just this policing of that, that urge towards truth and justice and peace. And it really is the opposite kind of thing of a movement like Michelle was saying, which is opening, creation, creating a new people you know bringing people in like transforming them with love and yeah i was just so angry at this software but this is just but think of how many in like in in the in in her union as emily talks about the way people are being policed you know and people must be angry i mean i'm i'm angry that point reminds me too of what noah from midwestern marks was saying um his his talk where he underscored the idea of purity fetish because once like when he said that that was the first time i ever heard it but i feel like i've heard about it like just in different terminology like sanitization or like stuff like that and yeah that was a perfect example like you know what you just described of like having all of your work be trivialized down to what's accepted right now and then in 20 more years they're going to change those words to what's accepted then and it's like like you said, it's a matter of losing the essence of the reality of this situation. So people aren't focused on what's actually happening. They're just focused on the emotion behind how these words will make other people feel. And it's like, that's not what our priority is because people, people's feelings aren't being attacked. People's lives are being attacked. People's lives are literally being taken from them. Mm -hmm. And they know that. And they want us to focus on the trivialization of everything. And it is really frustrating because I'm going through the same thing as well in my papers. And I'm just like, it's just really annoying to be policed on the things that really will not matter because of semantics when the issue was much larger than the, I guess, political correctness of it. But yes. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I mean, also it's an industry because there's a lot of money being made on people who are saying what's correct. 
softwares that are saying what's correct. I'm sure the hedge bit, the hedge fund come bank that Doc was talking about has invested heavily in this kind of thing mm -hmm. um, because it's a new way of like stabilizing capitalism. I think like, you know, racial justice <laughs> rather than let it actually ending racism, you know, destroying the system. Well, I also wanted to add that what you guys are saying and also our conversation so far, it reminds me so much of how Du Bois describes the ideological struggle or like the ideological mm -hmm. clash of um, what he believed in Booker Washington, like Booker T. Washington believed in the early 20th century. Um, because I've been reading his last autobiography and the way that he describes, he called it the Tuskegee machine and how much it had an ideological stronghold over like black America that time. I mean, so much of what we have talked about, I think it's almost, it almost gives a certain resilience and solace to know that like this has happened very, this has very much happened in history before because what Du Bois talked about was how Booker T. Washington making what he felt were inconsequential um, concessions. For example, this idea that um, Black Americans shouldn't strive for the right to vote or shouldn't strive for civil rights um, or shouldn't strive for higher education um, really, really would degrade like Black America over time, but also degrade the fate of, of America as a whole. Um, and I think that Du Bois was really like brutally castigated for, or like just very brutally punished for taking that stand. And just like, for example, I just listened to Doc's Midwestern Marks interview, um, I think earlier this week. And just like Doc, the way that you talked about how you've been kicked out of institutions all your life. <laughs> yeah, it's like the same thing with Du Bois, um, except that Du Bois was really taking a stand against the Tuskegee machine, like at that time. And I also think that's part of why he founded the crisis was because it was very difficult to publish at that time anything that wasn't approved by the ideas of the Tuskegee machine. Um, so yeah, what you guys were saying just reminded me of that. Uh, but it also is an affirmation of how I think history will absolve what it is that mm -hmm. we're doing the stands that we take the way that history has absolved, like the thought of Du Bois, the thought of Henry Winston, et cetera. Yeah, just add, I think, yeah, I think part of the discussion around like the war, like the different war rallies, I think the way that I understand it is that it's almost like parallel with the crisis of the legitimacy of the ruling class, there is a crisis in the legitimacy of the left. And the legitimacy of those who have laid claim to these principles of anti-war for like i guess yeah like the past two decades in particular and the question like and yeah because i like i'm seeing in the comments there's discussion around like the organizers of the february march and all that and yeah like we don't like we're not privy to those conversations but i think it kind of is that's not really the point though like what we are interested in is if you think of yourself as an organizer, as an activist, as a revolutionary, the real question is, are you worthy of the people? <laughs> right? And time will tell if the, if the people in like the People's Party, Libertarian Party, if they will actually like if the people will actually believe in them. Like that is up to the organizers of the February March. It's also up to the like these people who are organizing the anti-coalition rally in March. Are they worthy of the people? That's the question. 
And what we're also responding to is these, like, yeah, like what we talked about a few weeks ago, like the attacks against the February March from people like in Black Agenda Report, you know, the Jackie Lukeman article, I was basically saying like, how dare you not like consult us? How dare you not do things our way? But the hysteria that was reflected in that article is the hysteria, the same hysteria that you see in the ruling class because they are facing a crisis of legitimacy. And ultimately, yeah, what we're interested in is who is, who is going to do things that are actually worthy of the people? And I think that like all these attacks against the organizers of the rally, like it just makes me angry because I like, even like the racial component of it, it's just part of it is like one, it's very disingenuous to be like, oh, we represent black people and like you are like, yeah, like the, that whole thing. But like, I, I just feel like in this time, like when the ruling class is going all like, is going for broke on this woke stuff, like I want white people to have self-respect. Like I don't want them to be just kind of the self-denigrating, self-deprecating thing where you're always bowing down to like these, these so-called like people of color activists who are always shaming, trying to shame white people. Like I want white people to have more self-respect, whether they're the activists or just the people who are becoming involved in politics. And yeah, I just think the fundamental question is like, are we worthy of the people? That's a question that we're interested in, the free school. It's also the question that the organizers of the February rally should be interested in. And time will tell, like if they are not principled and if they don't actually meet the moment and meet the interests of the people who attended, I think the people will cast them aside, but that's for the people to decide. It's not for us to decide. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. That's just um, how, like how I feel about it. But yeah, um, I think, yeah, the part of how I understand like the the dynamics at play is like these, yeah, like the people like anti-coalition who have basically like, oh yeah, we're the real anti-war voice. We've been doing this for 20 years. And like, okay, that's great. You've been doing it for 20 years. Like, do the are the people actually interested in what you're doing? Like that's the real question. It's not like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. How dare you not like come to me? Um, and yeah, I think so that's part of, that's how I feel like part of the dynamics. And yeah, like if the if the people who are part of the People's Party, like Nick Brana, all those people, if they aren't able actually to meet the moment, then like that's on them. Like we're not trying to be like, oh, like we totally believe in the organizers of the rally, but we believe that as, as Alice was saying, this is a reflection of deeper changes in the consciousness of the American people. And that includes white people. And this is something that we think is a positive development and whether or not the organizers of the rally are up to it, that's on them. Um, and so, so yeah. Yeah, and I totally agree with Emily and the fact of returning to King, like the core, um, because it's like, what is the movement um, as defined by the history of the people in America that actually transformed America and the world. And mm -hmm. like, do boys and King are central to this whole thing. And I just think that we're like, being able to see how like the ruling class, like the world that the ruling class wants and that the world that like this, like that the group of people who push against like the freedom or like or push against democracy. Like, I don't know how to 
exactly. know, easily name finance, capital, or anything, but like the warmongers, um, people who stand for war, how much that world is not to be trusted at all and how it's falling apart. Um, but also like the choices that, um, like this moment is, um, presenting because another term in my mind is that international or like uh what is it something democracy international democracy. yeah international democracy mm -hmm. concept that we were talking about mm -hmm. um i don't know if that was from black reconstruction mm -hmm. and how like alice was saying about the way that countries can relate to one another um, can fundamentally change if the principles of relationships are based upon um, peace um, and those kind of things rather than war, which is what this country and finance capital want to um, base its principles off of. And it's interesting that, like, well, what actually works and what doesn't, I think that's part of the process that we're also seeing um more than just well like more than just of what you're saying jeremiah like oh we'll see who will um like time will decide well i think time has decided a lot mm. of things mm. you know because we do know that martin luther king is someone to go back to we do know how to understand the civil rights movement and the peace movement because we've studied it in the free school. And uh, like, I think, again, if you are not trying to understand the civil rights movement, if you're not trying to understand reconstruction in America in the way that Du Bois is understanding, centralizing the black worker, and because of that centralizing peace, because they're fighting for democracy, because the story of reconstruction in America is the story of um, the black worker being able to actualize democracy or become mm -hmm. free um, mm -hmm. as a human being to actualize democracy, which fundamentally uh, is, is like the basis in which the country would be able to um, move at all. I think that if one is to or like people are ignoring that fact, ignores the anger that history will move. And so that's like, we do have tools in the toolkit. It's mm -hmm. if we are able to use them or not. <laughs> and again, why are we not able to use them? Okay, people are anti-communist. Okay, people want to um, become either more petty minded and this, and think that things are insignificant, even if they are actually the significant things, meaning like, you know, kind of put Martin Luther King down or put Du Bois down and say like, they're, you know, not as important when actually they are the central things. And I think it's our attention to these kind of details that makes um, what we're seeing or what also DACA is being able uh, to bring to our attention, again, um, more clear 
because we are in a moment of a lot of choices and we can only make these choices based off of political and ideological preparation. How do you also politically and ideologically prepare yourself in America and also in this time? Well, you return to Du Bois and you return to King. Um, but yeah, just to add to the conversation, I just think that, um, I think that things are working like the Silicon Valley, well, if that bank fails, what other banks will fail? Right. Um, if the trains fail, like what other systems will fail? Mm. And it's up to this. It's like it's a similar question of reconstruction. Like, what is it that what is this country made of and what do we want this country to be? And I think that's why King is so alive, because there is a dream. You know, there is something that uh, there is different cause like in the civil rights movement. Well, you have to get the people to be able to vote. You have to have black people to vote. Well, there I think in this moment, uh, there are similar um, situations like things that people need, which is one not to be controlled ideologically, like within the mind, like in the universities, in the social media. And there's, we have to be against war um, as a country and as a group of people. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it gets to why is Trump relevant? Why is Trump able to um, speak to the people that he does speak to? But also, why is he also important um, to understand? Not in a, like a dogmatic or sort of like, a, you know, tunnel visioned way. But like Trump is a kind of uh, kind of moment to go towards what to become a country that is also different, um, you know, move away from war and all these other things. I just think that there's these kinds of questions that you can um, think about because of our study and our understanding of King and the movement and what was actually important for democracy to become real. Um, for the, this country and thus in the world, like basic principles and things like that. But. I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, what I've been researching about this bank because, uh, so I'm in technology. So I see kind of what's some stuff going on behind the scenes. And then I worry a lot about it because this is my future. And uh yeah. There's the way they talk about it on Twitter, which are like the mechanics, which I think have some truth to it. And then there are the underlying implications. Uh, and so the way they kind of like talk about it is that like a bunch of uh, uh, money was flowing into this bank from uh, tech investors because interest rates were low, money was free. Mm -hmm. uh, and this bank primarily makes its money by investing in other tech companies. So it's like the, the bank was getting money from tech companies and it was putting it back into these other tech companies. Uh, and so this, this like, uh, money flow was primarily pumped from, uh, cheap, cheap, uh, cheap borrowing rates. Uh, and then the fed increases interest rates. Uh, and now the flow of money has diminished and all these companies that, uh, uh, I guess we're getting free money. They're like, yo, we need some money. Let's, let's, let's pull some out from the bank. Uh, and the bank you know, they have all their money, uh, tied up in uh in investing in these startups so they uh start to sell some uh, uh i guess financial instruments from the u.s treasury which they bought uh when interest rates were low 
Uh, so they sell them at like a huge loss right now because uh, the, the United States Treasury is uh, giving out uh, financial instruments at higher interest rates. And then they say everybody's taking their money out. And so they have to increasingly sell at a lower, lower, at a, at a bigger loss uh, to try to uh, get some liquidity. Uh, and uh, I guess the whole thing crashes because there's no, they just don't have money to, to pay people. Uh, but under underlying this is that the United States economy, at least in technology uh, for the longest time has been really just sustained by uh, speculative investments uh, because people have been getting cheap money and are looking for high rate of returns. Uh, and it's really been, uh, and, and the undertone they don't talk about is that, for example, uh, there's been uh, like hundreds of thousands of tech layoffs because uh, there, there's no industry to support uh, the, a bunch of people making $100,000 salaries. And even before that, I've been seeing so many contractors uh, from overseas. Uh, interestingly, they tried the, the, lower, the lower wage ones are from India and the higher wage ones are from other places. Like we had, uh, interestingly, we've seen some Chinese. Uh, so there's, you know, even, even before that, there's been a lack of viability in the United States, uh, uh technology sector. Uh, and, uh, even the broader implications of this is that I would say tech is probably one of the most shaky, unstable, uh, uh, sectors of the United States economy. And so if this is happening in the technology sector, then there's plenty of other parts of the economy that are, uh, shaky as well. And so we're in some deep doo-doo as uh, uh others <laughs> as doc likes to say <laughs> so and so this is definitely just the beginning uh uh of uh this is like the first domino i imagine uh save your money my friends uh <laughs> i'm not joking uh and uh even uh un underpinning this as well as you know the the united states is the global global currency of the world uh they're able to print money in usd uh, they have all these other countries indebted, and then uh, they have to pay their debt in United States dollars. So the United States dollar, they're able to buy things from other countries uh, because they, they those other countries owe them debt, uh, money which they're printing. So uh, the if nobody wants the U.S. dollar because uh, you don't need it, because uh, you can settle debt and uh, financial transactions in the yuan, then we're really, really in uh, bad shape. Uh, in the short term, because this will free humanity, and then we'll we'll have an economy based off of uh, uh, real uh, uh, goods and services, and you know, no one else has to be poor for us to uh, have uh, a, a decent standard of living. That's interesting. The quote in my mind that came up was like the moral arc, uh, the the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Thank you. I was, in, I was just, but um, it's because it's interesting. Um, that to think about like how we have positioned ourselves in like this uh moment and we've only done done so because of like our constant meetings and studying and things like that but then also like yeah this question about joining humanity um yeah doc was telling me earlier like the about like the struggle being arduous oh yeah um and you know i think we've also read on and a number of times like whether it be like in the long march in china or like like the nonviolence 
and like studying nonviolence in the South, or even now with Reconstruction, like this, or even Russia, like this, these long histories that other countries have gone to, to the, like this, like conflicting, struggling, like these emerging peoples, you know, fighting for the chance to live, for their children to live. And like, I think that this constitution or this country could really only mean what it says, like if we go through with it and not kind of fall back or, you know, be, but I can only say it like that, even though I know it's not that simple because, you know, other things can happen that I just don't know about. Like, you you know, either uh, mm -hmm. emerging things that work against the people yep. um, or you, you just don't really know. But I think part of this like uncertainty or, you know, because we talked about like the uncertainty principle or like, you know, not even just as like a thing that like is uh, an idea but like the actual fact of like history, like, and this is in Du Bois, this is this almost the central thing of like all like this chess pieces and people's, mm -hmm. like human beings, like mm -hmm. to understand human beings, you have to, like you study it in Du Bois, you study it in Baldwin, you see it actualizing King. Um, like I think the complexity is part of its beauty, but the fact of being able to struggle towards it and at least try um, is something that is uh, is very important. And mm -hmm. I have just like a deep feeling towards that where like I understand a certain fact that, you know, maybe we can't do it or like maybe there's something that will just be in the way and then we'll fall into a dark hole and like nothing will work out and it'll just be for mm -hmm. nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. Or I can think the other way, which mm -hmm. is the other extreme, like, oh, okay, we try and we struggle and it will be beautiful and everything will be golden, sun rays and everything. <laughs> you know me, I'm a very positive person. I don't think negative, mm -hmm. but I think it's sort of the thing when we study reconstruction and when we're, when we see, events unfold that there there's the point of being able to choose the right side of history and stay on principle and i think that's also why we study history and that's why we at least try for the you know you know for the children or like for no, like no question so, could i, could yeah. I just say something if you don't mind you know i i agree so much with this conversation you know, which means that, you know, one of my great pastimes is going on YouTube and looking at past free schools. And I know I'll have to go back and look at this because there's so, so many things that have been said that I haven't, I have to look at again to totally uh, absorb them. But, you know, what, you know, this idea of a left that's worthy of the people at this time in history. Um, and that is why the concepts left and right have lost their meaning. 
because once the left, as it defines itself, has abandoned working people in substance, I'm not just talking about in words, but in substance, there's been an abandonment of the working class and an attack upon the working class. And that is what settler colonialism, 1619 Project, and, and so much else is about. Uh, and hence, by, by giving up on the people, they've given up on the struggle for a new democracy. And hence, even though for political reasons they can't openly say it these days, they are deeply, they are deeply opposed to Martin Luther King. Deeply opposed to Martin Luther King. And I wish to make that argument. You know, when you hear people talk about the real king or the radical king as opposed to the liberal assimilationist king, uh, that is an attack upon King. There is no less than radical King. And I've argued this in interviews and other things, uh, etc. But what King, and here's what they oppose, while saying they fight for peace, when it comes to their own country's democratic emergence, they will not take a position for a democratic way to achieving a new democracy. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. um, see, they see King, really, and I have to tell you this because uh, going back to the days that, you know, you know what the arguments were and you know people now in this time who were making those arguments back then, they felt that the nonviolent path to social change was the enterprise of cowards and that King himself was less than courageous. But what King was saying in essence, or asking of the American people, can we discover a democratic means to achieving a new democracy and a new people? Mm. Mm. And this is, you know, you know, uh, this is what the free school has been saying. You know, I know Magna and, and uh, Serafina and myself, we go back to the year of Du Bois. We had forum after forum, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, you know, I'm one of these people, you know, I know a lot of the activists and uh, I wanna know why you weren't there. I wanna know. What are you boycotting? Yeah. Let's be transparent. What do you uphold and what do you boycott? Um, 
I think we have, and here I agree with Serafina, we have before us an opportunity of a lifetime to really uh, discover and implement, along with the broad mass of people, a democratic path mm -hmm. to a new democracy. Mm -hmm. And by a new democracy in the United States, indeed, we're talking about all of the rights that all people should have, all of the rights, mm -hmm. you know, under the law, under the Constitution, under the Civil Rights Act. But that is not the essence of the struggle for democracy. It is a much larger, more, transformative. definitely more transformative uh, because the legal struggle is not necessarily a transformative struggle. And of course, the liberal wishes to keep it in that framework. But what we are talking about, blessed are those who fight for peace and for the unity of the people. Once you enter upon the path of the struggle for peace, you are compelled to fight for unity. You can't say you're for peace and then wage divisive struggles on any issue. Um, I just I just want to end on this. I was I was on a um, an interview on a podcast, and mm, it was okay. Many people liked it a lot. I felt it could have been much better. But uh, the man interviewing me asked when I said I went to the march on February nineteenth, and he was shocked. You went to that march? I said, yes, and weren't you there? I would never go to that. And then he entered into what I still do not understand, an attack upon Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi Gabbard, as having moved to the right. But none of this is defined. What do you mean to the right? The American people, unlike any other period of anti-war activity, are separating themselves from the ruling class of this country. Mm. And I say, if you're for peace, get out of the way of that process. Get out of the way. You are an obstruction. Mm. You, in fact, objectively, are working on behalf of the war makers while proclaiming yourself for peace. To me, there is no way to parse this, no two ways about it. And of course, this idea, and here, you know, it's, it's embedded in all of this talk. To be left is to be sectarian. To be left means to be a vanguardist. By that I mean a person or group that believes that I am left, therefore I must be in the leadership of everything. No, the responsible and honest left 
is always looking for ways to build coalition, united front, unity of the people, wherever they may be in their ideological development. And you do not blame the people. You do not blame the people. You look at Martin Luther King, went to jail more than anybody in the civil rights movement. In the deep South, he never blamed the people. And so, I, I mean, I just, um, you know, we're in that critical time. You know, next week, I think it will be Xi Jinping will visit Moscow. This will be another blow to the neocons that run this government. Uh, you know, I think they're in the deepest crisis since the Civil War, maybe deeper than that in some sense. But this system cannot manage but so many shocks to its rule. Mm. I agree with Eddie. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy you explained this more uh, for me. Um, these kind of um, institutions that are really a not a front for finance capital and reckless uh, economic behavior, which has really, and this is a fact, destroyed industry and the manufacturing base of this country. Biden can say what he wants, go to any union hall he wants to go to, but he is a part of a cabal, a ruling elite that deindustrialized this country. Cheap money was not for the sake of investing in schools, in healthcare, in housing, in ordinary people. It was given to like this bank and others for the sake of deindustrializing, and the outcome has been the impoverishment of the American people. And what, if people wanna know what the free school is about, we are about a new democracy, a people's democracy, a 21st century democracy rooted in the great struggles of the past. If you wanna know how we propose getting to it, we like Martin Luther King, support democratic means to achieve. Yeah new democracy. We do not put ourselves above the people. We want to hear the people, to be part of the people, to contribute, not to tell the people what they have to think and what they have to do. I think, and I, you know, I could be wrong about this, but this March next week, I don't know what the numbers will be, Probably a lot of NGOs and nonprofits are behind this, which means they are linked to the to the um, uh, the elites uh, and the Democratic Party. Of course, the Democratic Party, let's be real, will oppose will will support this before they would have support February nineteenth because it is too close to people who will align with Trump if he is a peace candidate. 
the smearing of Tulsi Gabbard. Come on now. Her bona fides uh, speak for themselves mm -hmm. in the struggle for peace. Uh, you know, but we have to keep it 100. Uh, this, and I'll say it to them, I'll say it to anybody. This March, next week, objectively supports the re-election of Biden or somebody like Biden. Mm. They would prefer that Trump be defeated rather than to prevent a nuclear war or the spread of war to other parts of the world. Biden has already said they are prepared to go to war with China. They are sending weapons to Taiwan. You know, they are attempting to cut off the democratic path to new democracy. To do so, they have to attack the people. Is that the left? No, it is not the left. It is fake. So, uh, that you know, we're, I think the crisis, I agree with Eddie about this, the crisis has only deepened in the last few weeks. Losing in Ukraine and still talking about war with China in the face of a Russia-China alliance. And now it looks like Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Saudi Arabia. What madness is this? But yeah, that's all I wanted to say. No, I like how you said the Democratic needs to a path to a new democracy mm -hmm. because that's our that's our slogan. We march to achieve our nation. Mm -hmm. um, I just really like that it's explained because you can only get a democracy if you get there using the principles of democracy. I think you're right. I think you're right about that, especially in this time, the path to democracy has to itself be democratic, but it, it must at all cost stand for peace. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And unity of the people. You know, do we have interests different than the people? Are we, are we in conflict with our own people? Do we want to fight it like that? Or do we want to continually point to who the enemy of all of us is? That, that's the way, you know, I think the calculus is so clear. I mean, I, you often ask, well, what is the problem? You know, you just want to be a contrarian are there ideological questions that uh, and 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 investment ideological investments that you choose not to uh, uh, be transparent about? I think that's part of the problem. By the way, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's not just what you say. I want to know the ideological foundations. 
that at the base of what you're saying uh, and such, I don't see how this left, whatever's left of it, can survive the splitting tactics or these splitting tactics. I just don't. Sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but I wanted to um, say this point before y'all left the topic because you and Serafina were reminding me of um, this idea that European and American nations have done, like in thinking back to the opium wars in China and how they divided um, China and Hong Kong mm -hmm. and just like that domestic like feud against a people and its own people. Mm -hmm. and what's going on now and I'm just like drawing the parallels to like the present day and like yeah and when you speak about Biden and him invoking like the possibility of war with China it literally like it makes my heart rate like go up like it makes me so anxious like everyone as a people and it really is scary and people <laughs> Uh, it doesn't help that I'm an asthmatic. Bring it up. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but no, I say that to say like how serious this is and how it's not new. This is not a new tactic, and it and it has continued. And the longer it goes on, the more sinister they become. Yeah. Okay, I can also read some comments before before we move on. Um. Okay, so yeah, there has been a long conversation parallel with our own, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to read everything. I'm just going to try to summarize what people are saying um, and pick out a few points. But um, yeah, there is like a very, very uh, rigorous discussion about the anti, the two different anti-war rallies. Um, uh, Dust James Nettleton says, no one is dismissing the masses of white folks. Everyone is invited. I think he means the, the March Answer Coalition rally. So he's saying everyone's invited to that rally in March. Even those micro organizations are far more substantial than the few public figures and influencers from the February March. Then someone whose username is Willingly Nomadic says, people becoming more globally aware will eventually better help them to accept new forms of governing. And I'm heartened by the prospect. Um, DJ Elf says, War is not pushed by the people, but by the people in power. There is some legislative work going on to achieve this change. And organizing for 24 can be, a, okay, I think uh, the 2024 election. Uh, but he says, I'm telling you right now that the obstruction of generational victims of war, like me, because he's Korean American, despite my work in this space is obscene and wrong. We are replacing activists with celebrities. And so he's saying, like, would you, for instance, like, would you organize a conference about reparations without Black people? And he's also making the same claim that, like, why would, like, that he's making the same accusation that the February March was organized excluding Asian people. Um, and then Dust James Nettleton is asking, how are, I think this is when we said that um, the Answer Coalition rally is not connecting the war agenda with the issues at home. And so Dust James says, how are they not connecting it? and then is saying that it's not a counter rally against the February March. Um, and then, okay, I'm gonna keep going. That's the question. Yeah. If it is not, then why is it being held? Mm. Yeah. I mean, what was the purpose of it? What was the timing of it? Mm. And why did the March March have to proceed on the basis 
of an attack upon the February march. Why did all of that go on? Yeah. If it if it was a march for peace and good faith. Yeah. That's all I'm, you know. Yeah. And then Christopher Romero says domestically we seem to be seeing a purposeful redirection of an emerging working class consciousness that directly opposes our government's actions both abroad and how it influences us at home and continues. There are those whose interests align with the constant US intervention abroad who want to redirect the energy to a quote unquote more acceptable version of what would be, what would otherwise be um, a complete solidarity movement. Um, And then people are saying that some of the people who organized the February March, including Nick Brana, uh, Caleb Maupin from CPI are they're saying that they're abusive, that they have abusive, abusive, that they have abusive history towards the people in the organizations. Um, and then Willingly Nomadic says, succumbing to the purity fetish, I think Shade mentioned this from Midwestern Marx, but succumbing to the purity fetish is to become a reactionary. You're allowed to have feelings on the matter, but you cannot let it guide you fully. Um, and then people are having a discussion about, uh, I think they're saying that like the February rally was like a petty bourgeois rally um, and that it's putting the petty bourgeois as the face of the anti-war movement. Um, yeah, there's, okay, there's a lot of comments. Um, willing nomadic, willingly nomadic, I think this was directed at me, says, how do you feel that quote unquote meeting the moment would be proven? Is it purely based on the size of each event? And I, yeah, like I don't think that really like meeting the moment is about the size, but just from our experience of the February rally, I think for a lot of us, and we've talked about it before, but for a lot of us, it was really impactful to hear people like Dennis Kucinich speak because I think that was really one of the moments where it crystallized that here was someone who was actually not willing to just say what people wanted to hear, but also was willing to challenge the people who were at the rally and that you felt a qualitative shift in how people were feeling. And this was just something that we sensed at the at DC in that rally. Um, but I think... For us, really, the it's not something that is so much tangible, like uh, quantitative as qualitative. What are whatever you're doing? How are the people changing? Like, are the people changing through this effort and changing in a positive direction? Um, and then DJ Alf is saying uh, the Wu Tang, the someone from the Wu Tang Clan who was originally supposed to speak at the February March dropped out. Um, and then Dust James Nettleton says, "I'm a white worker in the South." Black Agenda Report never told me to hate myself. They have been one of the few voices that inform me and push me towards anti-imperialist politics. Uh, Emile Pamier writes, I don't think it's necessarily a question of the right language or the correct terminology, but rather the question of what is the purpose of our conversation? Are we more concerned about being polite towards the academy or are we more concerned about hearing and communicating with working people, the etiquette of the elite or a dialogue with the dispossessed? and then Todd Doherty says, in a discussion with Brian Berletic on the YouTube channel New Atlas, Angelo Giuliano referenced the CPC's, uh, yeah, the CPC's dem- diplomatic policy, which I paraphrase as, quote, let's focus on what unites us and set aside our differences. How do we incorporate this sentiment from the uh, Communist Party of China here in the, in the U.S.? Um, and then, yeah, there's more discussion about the petty bourgeois thing. Uh, Christopher Romero adds, if the trains fail for the U.S., if the trains fail, then the U.S. is in for a catastrophic time. 
Um, and then, okay, yeah, there's a lot of comments. Uh, Dust James says, um, Trump and Bernie's purpose is to jump ahead of the changes in the masses and to direct them back into supporting the imperialist establishment. Trump helped to brand anti-establishment politics as racist. Um, and then, yeah, DJ Elf is again saying that his ex the fact that he was excluded from the event is a symptom of a larger problem. So his exclusion from the February rally. Um, okay, more comments. Uh, okay, um, okay, I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip ahead a bit. Um, and then. Uh, Christopher Romero says, any organic movement must stem from a love for the people. Um, Todd Doherty is responding to Dust James and saying that our larger point is that if you can't help, if you were not able to help the anti-war effort, you should at least not hurt it. Set aside the personal issues to achieve the universal. Um, and then, um, oh yeah, Christopher Romero adds that the US is pushing for conflict with Mexico as well which is more fuel for the war machine. Um, and then, yeah, I think the big question that's coming from people like Dust and uh, DJ Elf is um, Dust's question, how can you attack those who brought criticism on the February March while also, we, he's also saying, while we're also attacking this weekend's March, um, like the, or the next weekend's March in the anti-coalition. Uh, Todd saying, Dust, you're missing the force for the trees. Um, and then, uh, someone just added on YouTube whose name is uh, just a username. Why not learn? Uh, good morning. I just got here. I don't want to detract from the conversation. However, will Dr. Anthony Montero be having a dialogue or debate with anyone from Black, uh, Black Alliance for Peace, such as people like Ajamu Baraka? Definitely. Definitely. And it, it has to be held. It has to be had. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't want to talk too much here. Definitely. Yeah, I think a lot of these questions are also yeah relevant for the Korea event too, and oh, it's definitely crystallizing also like and concretizing like how we understand the purpose of the Korea event in light of this. Because you know, I, and and I know we're going to go to you know the our discussion of the Korea event. Um, see, if we don't solve this problem created by two peace marches over Ukraine, what makes you think that if the U.S. Uh, provokes a war with China or, or comes the back door by provoking a war in North Korea, that we will be prepared to fight for unity on those questions? It's the thing, and I would say, I think somebody said, well, how can you uh, 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 critique the people that are having the March march mm -hmm. for critiquing the people that had the February march. Aren't right. you doing what they're doing? Right. And I would say, no, I am not. Mm -hmm. uh, because what, what I'm trying to say, in the name of peace, in the name of democracy, in the name of the unity of the people, we have to get some things straight. Mm -hmm. Because I'm unclear. Mm -hmm. If you are for peace, why, when you saw the February march developing, you call an alternative march using all kinds of uh, spurious claims and statements about the right and the left? 
you know, okay, if you want to hold, now this is, let, let's keep it, I mean, I don't want to talk a lot, but if this is a left-wing march for peace, it is not a people's march for peace. It is the left's, and I put inverted commas, the self-identified, self-defined left, calling a, as they said, a left march to oppose the right march, right-wing march. My point is, if you are the left, why didn't you call it a people's march for peace? Why is it a left wing? Why does the left, as you define yourself, separate itself from the sentiments, political organization, uh, its, uh, political ideas of the masses of working, lower middle class uh, people? Why? And that's what they're doing. Somebody said, well, I, will I discuss this with a jamal? I would welcome it with a heartbeat. Let's do it. We need to get it clear. I mean, for, for everybody's sake. Uh, just a small thing. You can't, you know, when the question of truth is... Um, on the table. Let's stop all of this nickel and dime espionage just behind everybody's backs uh, conversations. That's what I want to get clear because the danger of war and nuclear war, not just in, in, in Ukraine, but in China, in North Korea, And how are we going to behave responsibly and in good faith in the name of peace and democracy going forward? Yeah, there's, uh, I'll just read two more comments. Um, some, okay, sorry. I know that sometimes people say their names from previous live streams with, cause they have like usernames, but I forget them, but um, e Pluribus Regnum says he gives a quote from Mao and then a quote from Marx. And the quote from Mao is, as for people who are politically backward, communists should not slight or despise them, but should befriend them, unite with them, convince them, encourage them to go forward. And then also the quote from Marx is, uh, quote, communists everywhere support every revolutionary movement against the existing social and political order. And all these movements they bring to the forefront, the property question. Um, and then the person who asked about uh, Ajami Baraka says, I saw, I saw Doc's, uh, Dr. Anthony Montero's interview on Black Power Media. It was great. However, it was immensely controversial, in particular, your view, uh, Doc's views on Garvey uh, then asks, what are your views on Walter Rodney? I don't know if we want to get into that right now. No, that's um, no, no yeah. to, to the right. No, that's not important. You know, at this time. Yeah. My views on Garvey were, were my views on Garveyism. Yeah. That's what I was talking about as an ideological political movement that reasserts itself 
in the 1960s as a force against the black freedom movement and the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. That's what I was talking about. And the residue of that divisionary kind of politics in this time. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was just, I've been rereading Paul Robeson's autobiography and it's so interesting because he completely confirms everything we say. Like he always attacks the ruling class, the white ruling class. And he even says in so many, and really just this fundamental belief in the majority and this whole conversation about democracy, that is the difference between revolutionary democracy and liberal democracy. Liberal mm -hmm. democracy is so focused on the minority, minority rights, which really is a code for saying the minority, which is the elite. That's really what's being protected. Revolutionary democracy is about the, the, the struggle to unite the majority, to unite the masses in their common interests. Um, and I just wanted to read this quote from Paul Robeson, which is so uh, beautiful. Um, and it's from his, the, the last chapter, The Power of Negro Action. The granting of our demand would not lessen the democratic rights of right, white people. On the contrary, it would enormously strengthen the base of democracy for all Americans. We ask for nothing that is not ours by right. And herein lies the great moral power of our demand. It is the admitted rightness of our claims, which has earned us the moral support of the majority of white Americans. The moral support of the American majority is largely passive today. But what must be recognized, and here we see the decisive power of Negro action, is this. Wherever and whenever we, the Negro people, claim our lawful rights with all of the earnestness, dignity, and determination that we can demonstrate, the moral support of the American people will become an active force on our side. And like later at the end, he talks about um, the crusade for freedom that they're interested in. So Americans who wish for peace among nations, and I believe the vast majority of them do, can join my people in singing our old time song. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. I'm going to study war no more. And it's just so beautiful because he just, this is the way true revolutionaries proceed with this fundamental belief in the moral capacity of the majority. Um, and I think the, yeah, I think the, this whole conversation about the march has to be seen in that light. Like what would Robeson have said about this march um, what would Du Bois and King have said? And that really was what the nonviolent struggle was about, because, Doc, you'd mentioned how this idea of nonviolence and King is under attack. And it's really an attack on the American people and King's belief in the American people and their willingness and capacity to be moved by this moral um, strength. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that because he, he came up so much in our conversations. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I think about that a lot too, where like, I was like, what would King have done if he were to, he would have been there at Feb he would have been there at the February March. Yeah. And like, I also look, I remember, like I've been thinking a lot about his speech at Riverside church mm -hmm. where he said, he was like, everyone told me not to take a stand against the war in Vietnam. Yeah. And that was much more like, like we've been saying at free school, like, that was much more, what's the word, contentious? Like, that was much more controversial at the time. And because of the anti-communism. And King said, he was like, people told me civil rights. 
and the stand against the war don't mix. And he said, but I can't in good conscience not speak up because at that time there were, you know, student protests. And King said, he was like, I have to take this moral courageous stance for peace. And it's funny because back then, actually the charge against King was being anti-communist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like here in February, this, what people are saying against the February march is they're, they're fascist because they're dealing with people who are maybe Trump supporters or like who are not considered the left, they're to the right or whatever. And I think that's interesting to compare. But I also like what you were reading, Megna, about Robeson. That's the thing, Du Bois, King, Robeson, and James Baldwin, they all have the same, they all say the same thing, which is at the end of the day, like what is your relationship to the war maker? Are you standing with or against the war maker? That is the question. And you have to ask yourself that. And I just like, I was remembering, like hearing you talk about Robeson Magna, it reminded me of how Baldwin said, like, I remember when we were celebrating Baldwin and Nuri was pulling these really beautiful passages from Baldwin. There was that really beautiful line where Baldwin said, if we're ever going to get out of, um, out of this crisis that is America, we will need a new language. Like it will require a new language that unites the American people. And, and I was like, is that not what we're seeing today? That there's a new language emerging? That's what we heard in February when we were at that March. Dennis Kucinich, Tulsi Gabbard, like, and honestly, all the other speakers as well. You know, they're YouTube. A lot of them are like podcasters and internet personalities. But when you hear Dennis Kucinich speak, or even if you read Scott Ritter's um, speech that he didn't give at the March, it's a new language. It's a new language emerging. It's, you know, it's not even like quote unquote perfect, but there's something new being born. I guess that's what you were saying, Michelle, about creativity. And it's a synthesis too. I really see it as a synthesis. And it really is all due to King because King started this. And what we have to finish is what King started. A (laughs) new language. Like this is a new American people stumbling and grappling for a new language, a new identity. And who are we to not support what, whatever February in the February, March, what they're trying to continue? Like, and that's what I feel like we're saying is, is the March March going to even continue with starting in February? Well, they should answer the question then. Okay, answer the question. Is the March March going to continue with starting in February? Because all the criticisms I've heard that the people as part of the March March is that they're purposely trying to say that the February March did things wrong. We're going to do it right. And I think that's the answer. Emily, to your point too, I just wanted to say like, for me, when I was hearing you speak to about the new language that's being formed by these people who are speaking in February, it reminded me of Magna's earlier points too about taking the essence out of language. And I think what they really did was, like you said, they weren't perfect by no means, but their essence is what spoke to us at least. Like I can't speak for everybody who was there because it was a very diverse crowd. Lots of people were there to like counter the march, but there was more so people there, I feel like, who understood the message. And the message was anti-war. It was as as blank as it can be. I don't get how you can confuse that. And then to the second point, so your question to the people going to the march that's happening this month is, is it going to continue with hap- what happened in February? And, like, you answered your own question when they're attacking it. And that goes to, like, some of the YouTube comments we're getting now that's saying, you know, we can have multiple marches because we need multiple demonstrations of freedom. 
I agree, but I don't think, just like Emily said, I don't think that this March that's happening is in the same vein as the one in February. And I think that's very clear because, like you said, if if it was a matter of we just want multiple demonstrations of peace and we want to continue the spirit that we felt last month, they wouldn't have attacked those people like they did. And that's what's so confusing to me is like, yes, human beings are very complex and each person has their own perspective, but we all understand kind of like what Todd Doherty was saying in the comments, like people miss the forest for the trees. And we know what the message is. The message is clear. We want unity and we want peace and we value life. And that's what each person last month, for me, that's what I got from their speeches, even though they all came from a different point of view. Each one of them opened and closed on that remark. And that's what's important. Yeah, not to belabor the point, but I do think it's disrespectful to claim leftists or want to be revolutionary and not know King. I just think it's just- There's no two ways about that. And what I mean is that, well, there's a selective type of ignorance. Like this is purposeful. Like you want to put down King, you want to put down the people, you want to put down democracy in America. You do not want to see um, the February March for what it was because you rather put yourself be for the people. You rather um, not study because you think you're so you know everything, um, or at least that's the um, that's what you're doing. And exactly what's happening. Right. And I think to the new language point, like. All of what would happen from the march is like Doc saying is like what was what Doc was saying. Like you're in the way to mm -hmm. building this new democracy, to building a new people, transforming the people to become like the essence of what they actually are. You're distracting, and that's dangerous. You know, now it's not like a simple matter of popularity or your own internal, um, you know, like, oh, I have to do this group because this group. <coughs> like, it's not about these like sectarian left groups anymore. It's not mm -hmm. about y'all. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what it's about is how the world can move forward. And mm -hmm. if you don't see it as, as a broader question of peace, if you don't see it as a, um, a world historic movement, um, then you're totally missing the point. It's mm -hmm. not about mm -hmm. um, who likes what ideology. Like, it, like and for the same instance of like, okay, well, why Garvey? Well, we're not really talking about Garvey. It's the principles of King and studying King. Um, the other facts of that, like we could talk about that later, like on the side, like I just think that right now in this discussion that we're having is to discuss why was the February March um, important and how can we build um, a new democracy? What principles are democratic? Um, I just think that is, uh, I agree with everybody. I'm glad to be part of the conversation, to be honest. I just want to say one last thing. Maybe we talked about this quite a lot, but you know, this question of building unity in this country and in this moment is a serious question. It's not easy 
but it's not completely hopeless either mm-hmm. it's not easy because you know there there is so much historical baggage on the american people you know and building unity really requires like you know revolutionaries and it requires revolutionary ideology and what it does not need is what doc you were saying is brinksmanship like this thing about being excluded i really like i'm confused because we were there and we are like you know a bunch of asian black people, <laughs> all kinds of people we were there we didn't feel excluded but when people say that they were excluded what they really mean is you, they were not paid homage to they were not treated like yeah. the vanguards of this movement and it makes me think you know like fred hampton king before they were reaching out to unite with the white working class were they waiting for people to come to them and say oh no you know you are great so now you can like you know now you're through the door that that's not how unity is built you have to begin from trust and like you know just be be ideologically predisposed to trust the capacity of people to grow and to build uh unity with um and also like if this was like the february march if it was organized by people who you know in the past historically have not been called upon to lead uh mass movements before isn't it so much more hopeful that they are trying to it's a positive thing that they are rising to the occasion now um even if like you know there is a there is way, like you know that movement has ways to go in terms of you know how it's going to grow in the future but it's an inherently full thing which i feel like a lot of people don't recognize and lastly this thing about oh you 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 criticize people who attack that march but then you attack this march they're not equivalent and there are so many of these false equivalencies that are being like you know thrust down people's throat they're not equivalent because ideologically one is for something and the other is against something and and we stand for people who are for something or for peace who want to organize the masses for peace and for a new democracy in this country so they're not equivalent um i say this because it also came up in that interview doc you did with um so yeah anyway i just want to say that yeah. and just to throw in one more thing about uh amegna what you said about paul robeson like him standing with my people um that image came up and i'm just like thinking about us being at the march in february and then also the question of like the american people like who are the american people um and also how we talk about like the black proletariat being the essence of the american people um it seems like we're working out like okay is the language of um revolution like the revolutionary language that people are trying to work out is it emerging out um or is it already something that is there and we're like um and we're able to think about it and that also gets into the question about like well free school we have been able to talk about like the world house we've been talking about um civilizational unity for so long and um you know that we have language um but what i'm also thinking about is like well It's not like there wasn't any black people at, at the February at the February uh march. And I'm not talking about like the leftists and the and, you know things like that. I I'm, I don't I, I think like the majority see if like the people if someone did like a study 
of like the races who were at the February March, it would prove interesting because mm-hmm. then it kind of shows. Because I feel like in a in a in maybe a previous year or like months ago, I might have been reserved to say or more. Or I haven't thought about as much like how working people are together more. And I think that in Philadelphia, it's a black city, um, but there's white people working with black people in the city and in Pennsylvania broadly. Um, So I just think that like we're coming to other questions about like, well, really where are the American people? Mm -hmm. Where are black people um, in relation to each other in this country? And I think like about the question about the new language or the new worldview that you're pointing out, Emily, like, is it something that, because is the core of it something that people know already and we're able to latch onto it because we've studied it so long and we're able to articulate and express feelings and ideas that people have. Um, and And so I'm just thinking like us working these ideas out in free school is not in a bubble, mm-hmm. but I also think that we're doing something that's relevant, um, meaning that it's something that's also ongoing and happening um, amongst America broadly. Like I think the questions of war, war and peace, for example, are questions that everyday people think about at this point because we cannot have another war and if, like a war economy cannot function the war economy um so i just think that it's interesting Mm -hmm. that we're having this conversation because it opens up different questions about um the moment that we're in like the you know the presidential campaign and like you know that kind of thing so i think you know it presents opportunities like that i wanted to bring it up because i think that when paul robinson is saying like i stand by my people we can also think about um, my people and not just like, oh, I stand by black people like Trotskyites and leftists when I say like, I stand by black people. Okay, well, you can go ahead and be, or, you know, put yourself ahead of somebody, a fantasy. It's just a fantasy at this, <laughs> at this point. Um, but that's not what, that's not real people. That's not the everyday people who want a better world for their kids and, and so on. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to add one thing to Purba's point also, and maybe to Serafina's also, that actually in Robeson's autobiography, he knows he's been erased. And he even like he even says, yes, there's this wonderful boycott going on. I'm so happy it's going on. You know, and he even says, yeah, I'm so happy that there are other artists who are playing at segregated venues. You know, I, 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 I tried to do that, and I'm really glad that others are doing it too. You know, and just like you're so struck by the humility of this man because he was like the battering ram against these racist lynch mobs and he broke through and he made this huge contribution and then he is erased and denigrated and diminished and he's writing this uh, book when he's not allowed to travel. And so, um, and, and, and yeah, and so and other forces are coming up and he's just happy. He's happy for the contribution he made to history. Because for him, it was never about being acknowledged. And that's the character of a revolutionary. It's not about you. It's about the movement of history. It's about the people. 
It's not about the specific way. He's not saying you all aren't communist enough or whatever, but he brings it back to these larger historical issues. Is the ending of segregation going to usher in a new world? Is it on the side of a new world democracy? Um, what is the character of black leadership needed to bring in this new world? What is the essential nature of the American people? Um, and just, yeah, it's just, it's it's so beautiful. Um, but yeah, just to your point, Burba. Do you, uh, Emily, do you think we could move to the uh, Korea event? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I know there are a lot of comments still going, but I think we can move to- Why don't we no. do it? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you want to do comments? Some of them are just bringing up the same points from earlier and it's becoming a bit of a circular- Oh, okay. In circles, I feel like, um, and maybe some of the questions could even be addressed by when we talk about the Korea event. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. So we were gonna do the Korea part now. We're going to Korea now. Oh. Uh, okay. Sure. So I thought we were gonna. You want to talk about the exhibit? Well, okay, I think for the Korea event, like we're calling it, I guess the Korea event, but it really is about peace. Um, and I think I'm really going to try to not jump back into like the discussion that we were just in, but I do think that the, like the anti-war rallies are about Ukraine because there's literally a war like yeah. being fought right now. Like that's very concrete. Like the billions of dollars that are being sent have to be understood. And then through that, I feel like it opens up a broader discussion, which is why do we do all this in the first place? Like, why do we have billions of dollars in like all these U.S. bases around the world? And then through that, I feel like you can expose the entire nature of U.S. imperialism and like U.S. hegemony and how that is like such an obstacle to this world democracy that we're talking about. And so I feel like that's the principled way to approach peace. And we're talking about Korea, like because the division that has been perpetuated for 70 years is of global importance. And the Korean War was an issue for all of humanity. Like it was seen as potentially like World War III, like something that, I guess a colossal scale that literally had not been seen before. And so when we're talking about Korea, we're also not talking about it just because some of the organizers are Korean American. It's that Korea is an example to humanity. Korea does not belong to just Korean Americans who have been personally victimized by the war but to all humanity who saw it and stood up for it. And that's the message and that's the spirit with which we're approaching this event. Mm -hmm. And so that's also why I think the conversation about Du Bois and Robeson and King are incredibly important for this time. Because the way that Robeson stood up, the way that Du Bois stood up, the way that they were willing to sacrifice, and they did sacrifice and they paid a price for it, but they never regretted it because they knew that it was important to all of humanity. Mm -hmm. And... I think that's basically the essential principle of the event, like the sort of spirit that this peace movement needs to take and like the fundamental ideas that can actually build unity, like can actually concretely build unity instead of just saying like, oh, like I support this or like, oh, everything is good. But no, we want clarity that's based on actual principle. And I think that's the, the thing, which is that it can't be anti-communist 
but it also can't be, I guess, elitist in a way. Um, yeah, and so I think that's broadly like the main connection that we're trying to draw where it's, yeah, I feel like we in the free school have been seeing this very much as a continuation, like this event, mm -hmm. which we've been planning, I guess, since basically November, December of last year. And it came out of the 10th anniversary, which we saw as our vision for a new American people, how to build unity, how to actually come together and solve the problems that we see in our country. And then with the February March that we went to and like witnessed and were lucky to be a part of and see, and the Black Reconstruction event where we were actually revisiting the second American revolution, the third American revolution of reconstruction and the civil rights movement to really draw a path to today, which we see as potentially like the beginning of the fourth American revolution, where we can actually like complete democracy, win a people's democracy. Um, and so the Korea, like Korea matters because it's a, something that started 70 years ago and it needs to be understood again today um, because you can frame it, I guess, in a negative way of like, oh, the U.S. has like done so many bad things for the last century. But we actually see it as, no, it's an opportunity to like start again. Like we can still recognize the humanity of the Korean people and it's not too late, but the time is now to make right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think that's basically how I've been thinking about it more like concretely over the yeah. last week where it's not just like nice ideas or like intellectual things, but actually like political practice that's urgent to this mm -hmm. current moment. Yeah, just, just to quickly add, I think something that's become more clear, especially within the past week or so, because we've been working with people and talking with people to prepare for the different panels and presentations that will be given is that yeah, like if we just if we just wanted to do something because we thought Korea was an interesting place, you know, like maybe someone could write an article about it, but we wouldn't be doing an event just because we think Korea is cool, because Korea is interesting, or because we're treating Korea as like a thing in itself, if that makes sense. But we're actually like what's becoming clearer and even through this discussion is that Korea provides an opportunity for us to also push for the worldview of people like Du Bois, of Robeson mm -hmm. and King. Because without those figures, you can't even make sense of what's going on in Korea, both its history, but also the present moment. And so what we're trying to offer to the people is we are trying, it's not just that we're trying to be like, this is the correct view of what's happening in Korea. What we're trying to do is we're trying to present an entire worldview, which is, yeah, like our, our worldview in the free school, which is based on the ideas of these people that we've been talking about, because that we think that they are an asset to the American people in terms of how they can actually fight for peace and for unity and how they can relate to the rest of the world. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just something that's been coming more, more concrete and more clear through discussions in the past week or so. Um, because, you know, all of, like, if you go through the program, like all of the themes and topics that are going to be discussed and also the exhibit itself, which um, I'm like, all of us are really excited about, like the art exhibit. Um, but like what's yeah it's just like what's been really beautiful is that yeah things have been evolved like the the purpose of this event has become more clear i think and like the fact that like we really think that yeah like that what we have been trying to work on in the free school over all of these months and years is like a new vision that we can present to the american people and that this event itself how we like how i see it and how we see it is that this is also a democratic forum for the people to come together 
and to find their own way forward on the question of war and peace and, and, and like how they can relate to a country that has been decimated by American bombs, that has been starved deliberately by this government, you know? Like we, yeah, we're just not looking at, we're, yeah, we're not looking at Korea because it's interesting and that's cool and because we happen to be Koreans, but because, yeah, first, as Nuri was saying, the Korean War was a world event. It was an event that shaped world history. It also shaped the destiny of America itself over the past 70 years. And, um, and yeah, so like the way that we're approaching this is that we're not treating Korea as a thing in itself, but as a thing for humanity, as a thing for the American people, you know, because they are also involved in this process. And that like at a time when, as people have been saying, the people are more distrustful of the ruling class and the media than ever before. Like why not try to provide a forum for the people to come together, people of all different kinds of backgrounds to try to be like, okay, like let's actually try to figure out what is the truth? What is the path forward? How can we actually achieve peace together on our own terms and not on any terms set by the ruling class? Um, and what we are trying, what we think the free school strong hand is like these people like Du Bois and King and Robeson and Baldwin who are an asset to the American people who can be a tool for the American people to actually find a way forward in this time of crisis when there's so many different areas of the world which could basically become like flat flashpoints of nuclear war. Um, and that we think that, yeah, like that these, that this tradition that we're rooted in and that we're trying to offer to people is like, yeah, that this is like the, um, that this can be a path forward for, for the broad American people as well. Um, but yeah. And the reason why I said what I said about King is not to like be braggadocious, but just like, because like, um, why know anything? Like why <laughs> um, want to become in the- Why know anything? And I think that It's emotional because, you know, to be able to stand up and say um, why we s celebrate um, Korea um, for anybody, um, why we celebrate Du Bois, Baldwin, and King, is because we're taking that responsibility and we're have like, we know, like, in our hearts, like, not only what they've dedicated their lives to uh, and what China, Korea, Russia had have dedicated and are struggling, you know, like to go towards like peace and democracy to really do that. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we know anything. And another thing is that, well- Could you explain? the struggle, the path towards peace and democracy, you say, that's why we know anything. Could you kind of because, tease that out? Because what I mean is that um, be, or what I'm emphasizing is a certain responsibility mm -hmm. after you know okay. what the right thing is to do. Mm -hmm. You know, because you could blindly want to do the right thing or like want to do good and not feel 
and you know, there's like an excitement to it. Like, oh wow, like I'm doing something that's right. Mm -hmm. But then like King, like after being jailed, after being um, told not to talk about Vietnam, mm -hmm. and yet he still says the right thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet he still stands by peace. That is the certain courage or that is a certain will um, that certain responsibility after you know, like, what is the truth um, to stand by. That's why knowledge is important. And then I guess acting upon it, right. you know, mm -hmm. um, is, is important. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I was saying then. But the mm -hmm. other point that I was thinking about was uh, how everybody in free school, because what you guys are talking about, it made me, like, reflect um, – about us as like a group of people. And I think in this moment, the ruling class wanna hit like the American people at all sides, like right. in all different ways, like, mm -hmm. and give us spoon fed um, ways to lie about who we are and where we come from, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that, you know, we're also now able to like attack on all sides. We're able to attack the ruling class on all sides um, too. Because um, we all come from different places and we're, you know, we have different experiences. And I think it makes me reflect about that because in working together and in knowing what the world house actually could be, um, it gives us that responsibility um, to do these kind of forms, which you call a democratic forum, which I also think is an important explanation to the event itself. Um, and it allows other people to see the possibilities of a new world coming into being, like yeah. we talked about. Um, yeah, because I think you know, like, I think there was a question earlier about, like, what would be the praxis that derives from Du Bois and King? And I think that it's important not to think about it in kind of a dogmatic way, where we, like, trying to exactly replicate exactly what happened during the civil rights movement, because that period already passed. The The things that it accomplished have already been, have already happened. And I think it reminds me of, there is this interview with C.T. Vivian for uh, the King in the Wilderness documentary, where he says, the point of our struggles was, he was like, it was very important for us to have victories. It was important for us to have periods of struggle and, and movements and acts of, like the kind of nonviolent acts that they were doing, but things that actually instilled in the people a confidence in their ability to change society and to struggle for a new future. That's what we're trying to do. Like that is what we're, it's almost like you're distilling the essence of the nonviolent struggle and we're giving, we're trying to apply it in a new way for a new time, given the realities and the needs of this moment, where, like, yeah, the thing is, is that, like, where people, people are discontented, and they are distrustful of the ruling class, but um, what we're trying to bring out and to invite people into conversation is to try to deepen and broaden people's confidence in their own ability to decide on these existential questions that can decide humanity's future, because what we do in America has so much resonance for what happens around the rest of the world. 
And like, we think that it's exactly the right time for like all kinds of people in America and in the city of Philadelphia to realize that and to be aware of that and to feel in themselves the confidence that they can decide these things on their own terms. And that's kind of how I feel is like, it's not like we're just trying to dogmatically apply the things from the civil rights movement, but we're trying to, you know, develop them in a new way for a new time. Um, and yeah, it relates to Korea, but also like fundamentally, it's a question of how are we trying to deepen and expand the democratic capacity and the confidence of the people in themselves um, and their own capacity to unite and to unite in new ways to develop new social relations with each other. Um, and so, so yeah, that's kind of like how, um, just building off what Serafina is saying, um, like how I'm also seeing the event. Yeah, I wanted to say that I'm really excited about the event because I think I said the exact same thing two weeks ago, which is kind of embarrassing, but I really do feel like it's pretty amazing that, okay, amazing is not the right word, but okay, let me take a step back. I've kind of, this past week, I've been a little agitated, like on edge. And like, I can't tell if I'm even agitated right now because I'm on my second cup of coffee because Alice insisted that I have a second cup of coffee. <laughs> but I actually think I've been agitated because this work, like this whole week has been like, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but I feel like this whole week has been news about war. And then for me, Biden's budget was like another nail in the coffin where Biden and the establishment, they're grasping for straws because they know they've lost the people. That's why he made it a point to say, I'm going to like the white Northeast Philadelphia working class painters, whatever, glazers and like, you know, you the aesthetic is like all these working people are standing behind him. But not just Biden, but I mean, the government has lost the people. And the like around the world, I feel like it's kind of, to me, like I think the timing is uncanny. Like, I feel like free school events always happen at just the right moment. Mm. I think it makes complete sense that next week, while there's a march in D.C. saying peace in Ukraine, whatever that means, we will be having an event that we've already planned on Korea. Because essentially what we're talking about is, like, the U.S. wants war with China. They've lost the people. And all they can, all they know how to do is make war. Mm -hmm. For what purpose? And that's what we're going to talk about. Because, mm -hmm. and like, yeah, because I was talking to Nuri and Jeremiah earlier too, where, because like, okay, again, this is, I feel like I'm just going to talk about my presentation because that's really what, I'm, what I've been thinking about a lot is the question of America and civilization and war and peace. But yeah, honestly, I really feel like the Korean War and history, McCarthyism, the Korean War, like after World War II, that is when America became perverted, so severely perverted as a society and a civilization. And it's in a lot of ways, I think it also relates to Black Reconstruction and Du Bois, where Du Bois said America's history has been a history of revolutions, like constantly the people making slow, steady steps to advancing the democratic struggle, that, that we have that history. But then here in the 1940s, the 1950s with the Korean War, that's when America, in King's words, became the purveyor of violence around the whole world. And then what did that do to the American people? 
we're seeing the results today. And I feel like that is, that's why I think the event next week is so timely because that's all you're hearing about is war. You know, like you, you described it perfectly, Doc, earlier. Like, I feel like you set the stage for free school today so perfectly by saying not just war literally around the world, when the majority of humanity, dark humanity, is taking steps forward to be free for a new world, but that there's also war in the US, East Palestine, those people who still don't know, are we, is the air polluted or not? Is our water polluted or not? Like, you know, we've talked about the poverty, the edu like the lack of education, you know, the violence, gun violence, there's war in the streets all across the US. And like, and I think this is the time with the Korea event to like lift up Baldwin, Du Bois, Robeson, King. These are the figures that the whole world needs to hear. Mm. That the American, you know, that the whole world needs to hear about the American people, specifically the Black Freedom Movement, where Baldwin said he's like, every bombed village in Vietnam is my hometown. And yeah, I just feel I have a lot of feelings and like it's almost like I'm agitated because the stakes are so effing high. And that's why the march next week kind of pisses me off. I'm sorry, it does. It pisses me off. Because this is the conversation that has to be had. Like, what about Robeson? What about King? Like, like this is what Nuri was saying. They, they paid the ultimate price to take a stand for peace. And here you have Trump who's saying, I will be your retribution. The people of East Palestine, the victims of gun violence, I will be your retribution of the working people. And how can you like call him a fascist here he is saying he will be the peace candidate and i feel like this is the stuff that we just have to be clear on like this is free school and this is the event next week like let's just be clear on who the enemy is the war makers biden who wants to drag us into war with china and they will use north korea against china too but like i mean the korean history and i feel like that's also why like the more i hear about the program for the Korea event, I think it's so beautiful because we're going to also, like Jeremiah was saying, we're also going to be talking about how the people in Korea, they didn't just lie down. They've right. been fighting to make right. advances in democracy, not just for themselves, but for world democracy. It's the same in America too. Like when you read Black Reconstruction, it's so like beautiful because here you have the Black proletariat formerly enslaved just a few years ago, fighting, like taking those steady steps forward for democracy, not just for black people, for white people too. Public schools, like what would it look like to redistribute land? Like this is the history of our own people too. Like our people didn't just lie down. And this is the capacity, if only we can lift up the examples of Robeson and Du Bois and Baldwin and King, so optimistic. Because we once you believe in the people, the past, the present, the future, like anything is possible. Um, I know I just talked a lot, but I just have so many feelings, and I'm always just like, I'm always just like, yeah, is this like God given? Like, <laughs> I just feel like everything is happening at the right moment, and we're in the right place too. Yeah. Well, I guess like also with this Korea thing, okay, first of all, I just want to preface, I feel like my brain is kind of working at half speed right now, so just bear with me. Um, but, well, actually, I think, yeah, like going off of what Jeremiah and Nuri said about how, like, I think actually in the past week, um, we've really, I think, 
or it has been made really concrete to us what the purpose of this event is. I mean, I think like we had been talking about it for the past several months, like in our planning and everything. But actually, I think for me, at least when it really clicked in a certain way was we're actually kind of tweaking some parts of our art exhibit, which I know like a lot of people were excited about when we uh, presented that last week. But actually, I think to me, like what made it kind of like, I feel like the art exhibit at first, I think one potentially could have walked away with the idea, oh, hmm, is this really like Korea as a thing in itself or is it Korea as a thing for itself and therefore a thing for humanity? And what I'm getting at when I say that is like, first of all, Doc has been so kind as to actually offer some of some paintings from his collection that will be displayed. Oh, well, and, good. Shit, I'm glad you all accepted it. I didn't know. Well, and I, but I think like what that actually did, because we actually like reconceptualized in many ways what like certain parts of the exhibits are going to look like. Um, because at the end, like we're actually along with some parts about the Korean War and with some parts about, you know, North, modern North and South Korean art, we're going to be including you know, works from Latin American, you know, from African American painters, because we really want to emphasize that actually the themes that are evident in a lot of Korean art and like Korean, like, or like photographs of Korea from that period are so like in sync and actually have expressed the exact same strivings that the rest of humanity, um, that are evident in the rest of humanity. Um, so, and I think that's when, and then after that, we were starting to have like panel discussions like within the panels. And then that's when I started to think like, because I'll be um, presenting about civilization in Korea or so I thought, um, because actually it is, it is not just about like civilization as applied to Korea. It's actually like, first of all, how can we understand civilization as, you know, specifically Du Bois has formulated it and, and specifically why is that so useful? in understanding Korea and why is that so useful and true in understanding how humanity is moving forward, how Korea is moving forward. Um, I mean, I'll start there, but there's like a bunch of other stuff that I was thinking about, but if, if other people want to say something. Um, just side note, I know I haven't mentioned it, <sighs> fuck it. But so basically like when you stand by Du Bois and King and Robeson and Baldwin, like it's it's equally as emotional because it has that universal, what you're saying already, Anna, like there's a reason why all of humanity will come to this, these like the striving for freedom, the striving for these democratic things. Like there's a reason why mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's so mm -hmm. similar across mm -hmm. the board regardless of where it is that you're coming from and I think that's also why it feels like what we're talking about is so eternal or so prophetic and so old and ancient and true because <laughs> it's like well and why it's so emotional like I'm sitting next to Doc and I'm like looking at him <laughs> no don't look at me. I will because and I'll call you out for it because I think that uh, that there's a lot to that there's a lot to that, you know, um, and it has to do with your involvement with the peace movement. It has to do with the, your life, and that's also fine. Um, you said too much. I didn't. Okay. 
So, and but what I'm thinking, what I think is um, beautiful um, about what you're saying, Anna, is that like these figures that we stand by, um, and these figures who knew the Korea situation, who knew the situation in Vietnam and because they were concerned about the peace question. They were concerned about democracy. Um, it, it seems more simple to me now about why why Du Bois, why King. Um, like these aren't people that we just choose for no reason or that even like for me, just because they're black, like that isn't why. Um, they live their life according to the principle of finding out truth to be used to better their people, our people, humanity, um, to better the, the entire world. That's how the world can get better, it's with the truth. And without it or to like ignore that, it's to just not be relevant, not talk about the relevant things um, because you're more, it just gets back into the conversation that we had and how our conversation that we did have about the protests has everything to do about moving forward with um, the Korea event. Um, I just think that that's a beautiful thing, you know, that yeah, the exhibit will also showcase um, King Du Bois, um, Paul Robeson, Baldwin, and how they are ultimately tied, like we say, in a single garment of destiny with Korea. Um, and I think like that is like the way, and that is the creative um, opening, the way to open up how we know Korea and how we can continue to know and get to know it. Because this is also just the beginning and even our understanding about, um, like every event really was just the beginning and understanding India, China and so on. Um, really just a preparation to, um, <laughs> how we can see their positions in the world, um, building towards democracy. It's really just the preparation of it. Um, but it's, I think, a really good start. Um, um, and, I, and the reason why I say it like that is because I was thinking about, uh, because a couple of people of us have uh, had a phone call about the civilization panel. And I um, am reflecting about uh, like Murray's interrogations um, because she was thinking about the in, uh, international democracy stuff. And like, how is it possible that the people in free school in that free school period can even think about or begin to think about diplomatic relationships between people who we don't even know <laughs> in different countries and uh, having different complex questions about their own democracies and um, historical situations like I don't know Modi that much, but I do know that if he um, if he chooses humanity, or if there's there's things that you know there's like ways that we see the world. The worldview um, that we are using is helpful and beneficial because um, we can be a part of the process, um, a part of working out mm -hmm. um, uh, the the synthesis, like how America can fit in the world and not war upon the world how um yeah i just think it's it's a, a great opportunity um for all of us um 
Yeah, and I guess like another thing that I was, I guess we we want to really show people with this event is I think like for some casual observers of the free school, like they probably see us talking about the centrality of certain figures like King and Du Bois and Baldwin and Robeson, but actually like. We want to show, I think this event, especially with Korea, I think Korea actually, we see it as like a big case study or as like a big case in actually making concrete how, like, how and why is it that we do see these figures as guiding lights, not just for America, I mean, yes, obviously, but also for the world. Because, I mean, we're not just trying to present, for example, facts about Korea, but we're actually trying to present an entire worldview um, and an entire, I mean, you could even call it like epistemology or like set of assumptions <laughs> that, you know, observers that at least we, we hope to impress to a certain extent on those who attend and those who see it because, you know, these figures like Du Bois and King, like we don't just say them because we like them. It's because there is such like inessential truth to what they've said and I think yeah I mean for us as the organizers um you know being Korean American I think it was a very profound journey actually like coming up in this country a certain way like being taught to think and to know Korea a certain way and then actually with these figures like we I feel like we almost like came at Korea again but in a completely different way like Korea it was it was like revolutionizing Korea I don't know how else to put it I think somebody else can say it better but yeah and then I guess the other thing about democracy is that like when we talk about democracy we're talking about something very specific and it's not like all of these liberal assumptions that usually underlie democracy when people talk about it and um, another way we want to make that concrete is actually through the format, is through the the way of discussion and the fact that actually we have so much faith in the attendees, in the people to actually discuss what are the paths towards peace, especially in the United States. What What is the way forward? Who are the American people and what are they capable of? What are the possibilities? Um, yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I think Kathy wanted. Yeah, to I mean, I just feel like I have so much to process from this conversation because I, I mean, I do every week. Um, but I think today when we just sat down and started discussing, you know, the world situation, the peace rally in February, the peace rally in March, and then our event, um, I just feel like uh, the question that I started thinking about that I think we've been raising, I uh, around prax practice is really something that I've just really felt so keenly through this conversation, mm -hmm. just felt like we were really, like free school has been and is so ready and is like, you know, we're ready to get to work on these questions. And I just feel like um, we're really so well positioned because of our, you know, 10 years of study, our organizing, our discipline and what we've been doing and how our part of, we're listening so keenly to the movements, people on the move both here in America, in Philadelphia, but in the world. So I'm really not saying anything that hasn't been said before, other than just to express just how grateful I am to be part of working as part of this event, to be part of free school even, but also to work on the exhibition, because I think what we've been saying about, you know, our criteria, our benchmark yeah. for um, what everything we're doing, we're studying, we're um, putting forward is really to 
in the hopes of being worthy of the people. And it's just yeah. just been hitting me really hard <laughs> these past few minutes because I feel like we're asking ourselves, like, can like what we're doing be worthy of like the Korean people who for thousands of years have like, you know, made sacrifices in the name of peace, building temples and Buddhist monuments uh, to instead of building weapons or, or uh, launching invasions or um, being able to after the uh, in the aftermath of the Korean War, like publish magazines and raise the capacity of the people who are hungry for knowledge um, or even Kim Il-sung's um, brave stances um, with the and the Korean, North Korean people with uh, Vietnamese people when they themselves are going through a genocidal war on the part of the um, American imperialists and all of his relationships. And it's sort of also in the same way we're asking ourselves, like we really want to be worthy of the task that Du Bois, King, um, Baldwin, Robeson left as like their you know, ultimate struggle for peace. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing we're asking ourselves today. And I think that at first when we were starting to realize just how broad this exhibition is, I know like it's, it is a, um, it is a, yeah, it was something I was like, huh, where, where will this be going? Because we were just still working it out, especially even last week until this point. But it really is because I think we've been making huge strides in deepening our understanding and the significance of this event in this moment and what it means to be, I suppose, really worthy of all of these um, people, but also ideas and um, just the people today and what they're striving for. And um, yeah, I'm just, I think also what we've been saying about trying to build a 21st century democracy, world democracy, democracy in in like sort of our practice here with this event. It's all sort of coming together for me in a way that I feel like um, I just feel um, really humbled, but also really proud of what we're doing. And I just think that I think it is something to be taking very taken seriously. And um, even if it doesn't look to many people whose idea of, I guess, practice has been warped by the left or even think yeah. dogmatically around what that looks like. I just think it's it's been really important. Yeah, because yeah, I think the thing about our worldview too is that we are actually thinking about history. Like we're thinking about the development of humanity. Like I think Christopher Romero had a comment, something about expanding human capacity like the social development of mankind. Mm. And I think that's where we're coming from. The reason that we are not as invested in the division or the struggles between the left or the right is because we are looking literally at the forward march of humanity. And we say like civilization because we are literally trying to understand 5,000 years of history and how all of that hinges around actually right now with like the age of imperialism and the age of humanity. Like when we're talking about 21st century world democracy, we're talking about a pro- like basically a dream, like this process that has been like worked out and demonstrated and fought for over the last centuries. And it actually has resonance and possibility today. And so I think that's why like we look to King and Du Bois and Robeson in particular, because they had a practice that leaves something for us today and not just as Americans, but for everybody in the world. And you Mm -hmm. can see that like when you look through the history books, like when you look up the pictures and you see the relationships of like Du Bois and Mao and Kim Il-sung and like Sekou Ture and Modiba Keita and all of these people who are fighting for their people, like the national liberation. Mm -hmm. And they're not just fighting for their countries, they're fighting for literally justice for humanity. 
And I just think that that's like the fundamental perspective that we're coming from. And I think I also feel kind of agitated because I think over the last week, like trying to really buckle down and like share our purpose. And I feel like people, I feel sad sometimes because I feel like people get caught up in other things and they want to make the conversation about something else that they're more focused on. And like, I understand that impulse, but the thing is that we have our eyes on the prize and it's literally like humanity, like war, like annihilation or peace, like world democracy. Um, And I think that's also what our exhibit is trying to accomplish, like to visually ground that struggle, like how vital and how living it was, how civilization and the hope and the spirit of the future lives in like the masses of people in Korea and in Afro-America and in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I know we've been hyping up the exhibit, but I really am excited for it. I think it'll be a real, I don't know, yeah, like it is historic in a lot of many different ways. First of all, because we're showing North and South Korean modern art for the first time that we know of in Philadelphia as an actual like art exhibit, but that like I think part of yeah, the process of the past week or so has been like kind of bringing our pre-ideological assumptions to the surface and actually making a case for those pre-assumptions as well. Like we can see the possibility of a common, like a common conversation between North and South, like the best of the South Korean like movement for democracy with North Korea, in part because we're rooted in the principles of people like Du Bois and Robeson, who, yeah, like one of the few voices in American society, as people have been saying, to actually speak out for peace during the Korean War, like much before even things had matured to the point of the Vietnam War, like the anti-Vietnam War movement, um, and that they laid the groundwork for this. But I think one, yeah, one thing that we've been thinking about, or that I've been thinking about is that, you know, like you can't understand the shape of the world to come if you don't know what it, what it is emerging from. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to say is that this new emerging world order that is yeah that is coming into being it is the it is the child of the world anti-colonial movement of the world peace movement also of the world communist movement and that north korea is a way it's like an opening to for the american people to make contact with that history because otherwise like if we don't know like what produced this world like this new world order that we will be basically as king says will be left asleep during a period of world revolution. <laughs> but the other thing is that why we're also making a case for exactly these figures is that you also can't make sense of this new world and what democracy can mean in this 21st century without people like Du Bois, without people like Robeson, because the suppress, yeah, like, yeah, I'm really excited for like all of the panels, but in particular, like the second panel that, um, that Anna's moderating, that Alice and Jahan and I will be on because Part of it is that we're making a case that, like, I think, and I think Alice was saying this, but that the suppression of people like Du Bois and Robeson is not, it's not even so much the suppression of them, but that they represented a qual- like a new, no- like new knowledge categories, new knowledge and new theories of democracy, which are super, like, that are hugely beneficial for the whole world, that the whole world needs to hear in order to even understand where it's going, where the people of humanity are going. And that, yeah, it's not even the suppression of them, which is the problem, but the suppression of the knowledge and the truth that they represented and that they can give to the entire world. Because, you know, like people, um, 
Yeah, and I feel like this is just like things that we've been talking about for a long time in free school and arguments that we've been making, but it's just like we are yeah, basically committing ourselves to making these arguments again because we think that they are necessary, that people like King and Du Bois are not just yeah, like people for like people in themselves, but they are people for humanity. Um, and that we're really trying to uplift these people in concert with um, what we see in the Korean struggle and how connected with the world struggle for peace and um, for a new democracy and for freedom um, and for a total remaking of the whole world international relations themselves. Um, so, yeah. Is anybody going to say anything about the discussion of uh, Ju Che? Yeah, <laughs> I think we're all going to imbibe the spirit of Chuche. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think that was another, I think what Jeremiah was saying about Du Bois and Robeson, I guess Alice's presentation on like new knowledge and new theory on democracy. I think another way of framing that is like democracy as the fullest expression of human capacity, like mm -hmm. a potential. So that every human being is able to make like a worthy contribution to like for the forward progress of humanity. And I think that's actually the ideal of democracy. And it's a question of, yeah, how do you actually put that into practice? How can you make it real? And in that way, it's completely distinct from theories of liberal democracy that are more emphasizing, I think, practice or like electoral things, stuff like that. But yeah, I think... I like yeah because I think we were some of us were reading like Juche like Kim Jong-il Kim Il-sung and there's remarkable resonance and it's almost like we were only able to really understand it after reading Black Reconstruction for like four months yeah. um yeah because because the way that Du Bois like makes his assertion he's like I'm studying the American people like I know the American people I've like I've lived my whole life among them I've made it like my duty and my role to study them. And what I see is so much possibility. And that possibility needs to be realized basically through knowledge, like through leadership and knowledge and education. And with Juche too, it comes out of the experience of the Korean revolution. Like it comes out of the anti-Japanese imperialist struggle. It comes out of the struggle in the Korean war, the people's war against American imperialism. It comes out in like the reconstruction of society. And I think we're also talking about sort of the resonance between reconstruction in North Korea and the reconstruction era in America, because it asks the fundamental question, like, can the masses of men rule? Like, can they build a society that can provide the people's needs and also like actually contribute something new? And like, that's the way that we want to go about it. We're not just like looking at it from the outside and being like, oh, like, look at this image or like, look at this like idea. And it's just abstract. Like all of it means something today. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like, Juche too, like, we're not trying to categorize it, like, oh, like, is it a development of Marxism-Leninism? Is it something else? Like, is it a personality cult? No, we're asking, like, what does this actually say philosophically about the nature and the potential of man? And so, yeah, I feel like that is actually, like, free school, too. So in that way, I feel like it'll, it has to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, in, like, in our study of Juche, like, I was also just so struck because, like, Kim Jong-il, he literally writes that actually, like, it's supposed to be, like, a science, a way of understanding man, and, like, man in his social capacity, and also just in his capacity in general, like, what is the essence of man? Um, and I feel like, actually, it really kind of added in a certain depth 
in my understanding that I think free school has been saying for a long time. That man, and like man in his social capacity. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, this whole idea that political economy is not the science that we need to understand man and his capacity but rather it's sociology. And I, you know, there was a while, I think when that was said at first, I didn't understand it fully, but actually he, I feel like he, it almost mirrors like the free school's formulation and Du Bois's formulation that we need like a revolutionary social science and that there is a revolutionary social science and that the people can be known if only we have like the knowledge categories and like the, the types of knowledge necessary to uncover that. Yeah, I think that like reading Kim Jong, I'm just like re repeating what people are saying, but like reading Kim Jong Il's stuff on Juche, like it was just like it was like, like it really just hit me. I was like, whoa! Like the argument he's making is exactly the kind of argument that the free school is making right now, where we appreciate like the science of Marxism, we think that like it was a huge advancement to humanity and, and all of that. But like what we're like the way that we see Du Bois as not a derivative of Marxism or even like a develop a new development of Marxism, but as Du Bois as a new qualitative social science, which meets the demands of first of all American society and the revolutionary path for America, but also contributes something new to the world itself. Um, because it's addressing specific questions um, that are, it's, yeah, it's area, like its object is different from really what Marxism is focused on. I think it's like, yeah, it was just like very, I don't know, kind of almost jarring because like the kind of argument that Kim Jong-il was making was like, yeah, like we see Juche, like we accept, we assume Marxism and Leninism and all of that. But what, what Juche represents is not really even like a new stage of Marxism it's like us trying to answer like a new set of questions that have emerged um, through the process of the Korean revolutionary struggle. Um, and yeah, like I just, I don't know, like it takes, like it literally has just, I'm repeating what others have said, but like it has taken all these years of trying to actually like immerse ourselves in the thought of Du Bois, of King and all these other figures to like, even for me to be like, oh, oh, that's what Juche is about. Like, because I feel like it's kind of presented as almost like a, like the North Koreans are just trying to make their mark and to be like, oh, we're so great. And to, you know, to kind of promote themselves on the world scene. But like, when you think about it, like a whole people, like a whole society has been organized around this philosophy. And it's not something to be taken lightly, um, in part because of what they've been able to achieve. And and yeah, like there's so much parallel and resonance as as Nuri and Anna have been saying between like how they formulated this new kind of social science and how even the free school is trying to develop and to promote like a new kind of social science that emerges from Du Bois. Um, and so, yeah. Adding uh, to what all my peers are saying, uh, when when he talked when, when we uh, did that reading, he talks about it as something emerging from the struggle of Korean people out of practical necessity. And so, in trying to make sense of what happened uh, in uh, the people's past and what to do about it, uh, they, as others have said, they were able to draw upon the science of Marxism, but only so far. 
And reading Black Reconstruction, I mean, you, you, you also see that they're drawing from an economic perspective, but you only get so far. Uh, and then you have this opportunity uh, to, I guess, think very creatively uh, and draw out the science and logic of human beings that are not, uh, I guess, economic forces, although we are in relation to economic forces. Uh, and, I, and I really thought it was uh, incredible how they like, were precise in saying that uh, Juche uh, was looking at uh, man as a social being and, and what that really meant, uh, which was that's, that's part of our historical development. And if you look at our uh, uh, historical development uh, socially, uh, uh, human uh, rising from human cooperation, uh, you can draw principles about the logic of development, uh, and uh, bit, uh, that I mean, yeah. Once, as, a, as others have said, very much in line with what Du Bois uh, has talked about. And so, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I feel part of the world, man. Reading reading Du Bois, reading reading Juche, I'm like, yeah, man. We 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 on the same path. Let's get it. Let's keep going. You know, what's also, what was also really interesting in reading that piece by Kim Il-sung, well not Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il on Juche is that he essentially says that when you raise the capacity of people for independence, for consciousness, for creativity, the sense that we get in the West is that people just end up doing their own thing. That society, because people have reached a level of freedom, that they'll just do whatever they want. But actually, in this piece, he says something different, like a science of social and human action, which is that as you raise people to a level of consciousness, mm -hmm. people actually end up becoming more unified around a certain purpose. <laughs> and, you know, I think in like North Korea really is an example of this, like that tests out this hypothesis of human action. Like, is that true? Because Nuri said something, like Nuri said this before, which is that there's this belief that if you give people the, necess the necessities of life, there's this theory or this um, assumption that people will be lazy and not work. But what North Korea proves is that actually, if you give them the basic necessities of life, people are actually not lazy. They end up, I mean, these are generalizations, right? But people are actually more purposeful and more engaged in their society. Um, and that was really interesting because as someone who's in the West or in America, you don't really have an example of that to look to, um, to actually prove or support that theory. Um, and then also, I guess a separate point is that with like we really aren't talking about Du Bois and King in a superficial manner because I think for free school, it's been so easy for us to understand world revolutionary struggles because we have the framework and lens of Du Bois and King. That democracy, the lack of democracy in America means the lack of democracy in countries throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been really interesting about you know, this process of, you know, prepare for free school to prepare for the Korea event, 
you know, I had to start with, um, because I guess people have been talking about their presentations, but I've been looking into South Korea in the 1980s and it was really brutal in that period of time. And I was trying to make sense of it because it was such a sad occurrence. And I was trying to make sense of it through the lens of free school, which is that, you know, the U.S. being the greatest purveyor of violence throughout the world. But who in the U.S. was speaking out against that? How could the U.S. have been different? And it was figures like Du Bois and Robeson who spoke out against the Korean War, um, who were labeled as communists. And that's, I guess that's back to what um, Jeremiah was saying, where my initial lens was, yeah, the suppression of Du Bois and King or Du Bois and Robeson and that what they represented in terms of a movement is what allowed for the anti-communism in Korea and elsewhere. Um, but then I guess the, the switch on that framework was what is what was suppressed both in America and also in Korea. Um, I guess I'll stop there so that I don't give away my entire presentation. <laughs> but I guess I say all that to say like Du Bois and King, like it ha they have been so central to our understanding, not because like they were black figures mm -hmm. in history. Like what was the substance of these figures in understanding, in, Amer uh, in understanding America and the situation that we're in, but also the world? You know, it's so easy actually to understand this new world order because we have Du Bois, because we have King. Um, whereas I guess Michelle was saying earlier, some people are kind of, are stuck. They don't know how to make sense of this world situation. And it's because they don't have figures like Du Bois and King. I agree with you, Alice. I also feel like this is something I wanted to get at too, because when Tony was speaking earlier and Serafina too, about people calling themselves leftists and then um, not knowing King. And I was reflecting to just like being in elementary school and like every time February came around and the only figure we did talk about was King. It made me feel like I had a like a pretentiousness towards him. Like I feel like, oh, King is overrated. Like we always only talk about King. But then being older and having a consciousness and realizing there's so much of King that I don't know, like literally not even 1% of him is in my brain because of how um, our country and our leaders have basically like taken slithers of him and made him this appropriate figure for Black America. And then all they ever speak about, well, this is just my recollection, but all we ever spoke about with King was the I Have a Dream speech. And we only ever spoke about him in these ways that like wouldn't incite revolution. It's just these kind of like, duh, like factors about him. Like, yeah, of course we all want unity. And nobody talked about how revolutionary he is. Kind of like, what your speech was, Tony, at the um, church on, ML on Martin Luther King's birthday. And you spoke about people saying, we want to go back to the radical king. But it's like, when has he not been radical? <laughs> and that's the thing. So many people do not know Martin Luther King as a radical figure, like to this day. And I think that's something that's really important that you've emphasized and that we continue to emphasize like as a group. Because, yeah, you're right. And Michelle is right as well. People are stuck because they don't even know these figures to begin with. They don't even really take into consideration that America has produced a Baldwin, a King, a Robeson, a Winston. Like, 
and that's those are huge people and these are huge mm-hmm. ideas so of course naturally because just just like a psychological take but naturally you know your mind wants to do the least work right gordon alport's least effort principle nobody wants to think about these complex ideas all day especially when your institutions aren't teaching them to you so of course your brain's gonna let it wash over and go those things don't matter and those people don't matter they didn't really change anything but we're here to say that that's false and that's very important yeah but i think the interesting thing is that or what i also think is kind of beautiful is part of why we believe in this in these figures is although they've been suppressed and especially for the younger generation i think our working hypothesis and what we've also seen is that they're not alien to the american people they're not inorganic to the american people and i think especially for those like from whatever background like if you're interested in like change but also if you're troubled like for people who are troubled by what they see going on in america or even in a city like philadelphia it's like people like yeah like part of why we think that people are so discontented is because like even if king has been suppressed or du bois has been suppressed like we're we believe that somewhere in the like somewhere in the minds of the american people king still lives and he lives in like maybe it's not fully clearly expressed yet but part of why people are so unhappy or why they're so discontented is because like the example and the memory of king still lives in some form in the consciousness of the american people and that what we're trying to do is to bring that out into fruition um because because it has been suppressed but still like we don't think he's been totally like killed in the minds of the american people by the ruling class um and yeah like also that the task too but as you're saying today is like the task too is to teach a new generation to know king um and to know him and it's in his full extent real quick it's kind of funny because like i was at the gym and i was thinking about people who were there or whatever and but like immigrants were told if they come to america like they could be free and like <laughs> you know i don't know just like there's a certain narrative about the country uh and like the good things about the country is that like well nobody's going to tell you what to do or what to you know believe you could um do whatever you want pretty much um and you can start your own business and um it's interesting because and I'm excited for the showing for the documentary um that the cuz I have looked at it and every time I see like a society or a North Korean society I'm like wow um that's a different way to do things um it's not bad at all um i didn't i don't think i was ever taught about north korea actually <laughs> um so i'm self-taught and i'm glad to be but i but i think it's the thing of like well what's promoted about american society are actually things that are kind of like contrary or like you know it's contrary to the growth of like human beings like but you know what's interesting is that there is because because that is only dependent on like 
are we for, um, is man for property or is man uh, for democracy, is man for man? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can Mm -hmm. use the same principles that American society has Mm -hmm. um, and you can develop them for democracy um, as well. But I also, but then it's like, well, what um, Shade was saying made me think about like the philosophy that we live by. I remember like one time in the Du Bois meetings, we talked about how like, or we talked about like the Lord of the Flies and how the assumption of the Lord of the Flies book was that all like human nature was essentially evil and like children would just like choose to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, but like, What's interesting about that is that, like, in me thinking about being in the university, I know that it's just like, well, you're telling me that I can't do it, or you're making it impossible to actually read. I don't understand this. This is way too abstract. I I just remember going through stuff like that because it's like, well, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And, you know, reading mm-hmm. about the Civil War, mm-hmm. I can't read about Black Reconstruction. I remember <laughs> in, in Temple, like, I would have Black Reconstruction and be in a Civil I War. Never, really. I never told you. Oh, and yeah. so, well, no, but, no problem. Okay, <laughs> but the thing I'm getting at is, like, this question about um, how philosophy or, like, you know, the general worldview, the underpinning of all of our thinking could actually be beneficial <laughs> for human growth and development and how it's essential to growth and development. And instead of putting down the people, we can actually raise the people up, um, raise ourselves up. And it would be a totally different society. We wouldn't have to think um, so negatively or pessimistically or have like no vision. There actually is a vision. Um, to uh, to stand by, which is king. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah th- that's why I found the Juche. It was the first time I was actually reading Juche seriously, and I found it interesting because, um, like basically the point I really remember is that Kim Jong Il was saying he's like people tend to think that man is just a dialectic of like the material with nature, like material man with nature. But he was like, he was making the point where he was like, like he broke it down as a science. He was like, it's actually, there's a dialectic between um, you as a material being and then like your mind, or I don't, I forget the word he used, but basically there's a dialectic between consciousness, like mind and your capacity and then your body, like your organic body. And he was, And I found that the reason why I was really attached to that was because this was Anna's point, I think, but it really reminded me of Du Bois, but it also really made me think about, like, I can't help but just think about, like, um, King as the father of a new nation and then Kim Il-sung as the father of that nation. Like, because North Korea is very rural, agricultural. And I really felt like I could see Black America in North Korea and how important, because there's a reason why Kim Jong-il is very attached to this idea of explaining. Juche is the whole idea of that man. It's man that master, man with consciousness can master like anything. 
and thus like and also the relationship between the individual consciousness the individual man and the collective how you are transformed like how important basically social relations are to master mm -hmm. um, society and there's something that there is like a resonance like i just felt like it did resonate with how we even talk about america like du bois talks about for example like the dictatorship of the black proletariat and yeah and like what alice was saying right north korea you see the example of okay like a society denigrated destroyed industry destroyed and when what do you do in the aftermath of that to build and that there's a deep like it's interesting that you have here you have the leaders of north korea saying like above all what comes what perhaps comes first is a deep need to understand that it's man, man who masters society like social relations you know and i kind of feel like in some ways that's similar to afro-america and the way du bois even talks about like the dictatorship of the black proletariat in south carolina where it's like this belief if you if you go along with the belief of even the lord of the flies thing um which is the american assumption of like oh man is natural man is bad like um man like human nature is inherently um selfish or bad or whatever that's very um different than even juche or even what du bois is saying it's the assumption that no there's such thing as a dialectic of conscious there's such thing as um inner capacity or mind or consciousness and i feel like that's the whole point of du bois where he's like when i write black reconstruction i'm coming from the basic assumption right. that and man can master like the human factor yeah. that's what we talked about yeah. And yeah that was beautiful like i really saw afro-america in north korea and it also reminded me just of like we talked about it with india and i was just about to say that shut up there's no <laughs> oh, this thing of like the rural like and i feel like dark darker humanity is very connected in that way and I, I even thought about how King, like, because part of my presentation <laughs> I went to King's pilgrimage to nonviolence, because here you have the father of a new nation talking about Western civilization so perverted, America, the civilization so poisoned by war. Like, let us take from the best of the West, but we need something else. Whether you want to call it Christian love or Gandhi's nonviolence, there's this belief that man inside him can master society like there's something very important about social relations and rebuilding society um yeah i don't know that's what the con it is interesting because the first time i was taking juche seriously because i i remember being kind of angry when we were reading it together because i was like yeah it's actually so true that it's so true that why is it that marx like and i'm i'm for marx too like great guy like you know really noble all that stuff. But like why is it that like this funny looking white guy with a beard with marx is taken more seriously than something like juche because juche is super like made to be a joke but it was so deep it was so deep reading like it's clear because um eddie and jeremiah everyone said it but juche the way um kim dong il was writing about it was he made it a point to say um, this is Jeremiah's point that we already assume um, dialectical materialism. Like that's an already assumption. But Juche, when we talk about this dialectic between individual man, like man's consciousness and his organic body, and then also man and the collective, like social transformation, he's like, that is 
um, that is distinctly Korean because this theory, we have developed this theory out of the practical need of having to rebuild as a people. Um, yeah, no, it, honestly, it did remind me also of China, like Mao. But the, here's the thing, Duce, I think it was interesting because they were really distinctly writing it as a science. And I just haven't read enough Mao to know if China has done the same. But yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of similar where even in China with this long march spirit, or in India with Gandhi saying like something distinctly Indian, nonviolent, like it's, has, it's about something on the inside. Yeah, that's just a really beautiful interrelatedness. And okay, my last, this is my theory and I don't have any facts to back it, but my, or my hy working hypothesis is I kind of felt like Juche was pretty Buddhist and I'm kind of, I'm really into this idea that like Korea, Buddhist, like that has been very integral to its philosophy. Um, again, I have no facts to back it up, but I, I find it because it's also interesting to look at the exhibition and the connections of Buddhism, um, India, like how similar some of the art and culture of Korea. It reminds me of India and yeah. Can I, can I just say something? You know, um, there is something distinct about the philosophy, and that's, I think, the way they refer to, at least in essays that Nuri sent to me, the philosophy of Ju Che. Uh, you see, North Korea, well, Korea, but especially the North, was completely destroyed by the US. Uh, this is one of the great crimes against humanity. Uh, but ironically, and I, I think this is what Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and others have said, but we were freed from exploitative social economic relationships. We were, the physical uh, plant, the economic, the physical economic and other institutions were obliterated. The imperialists believed that if they destroyed our physical environment, they would destroy our human environment. Mm. The irony, and I think this comes across in Kim Il-sung and others, the irony is by destroying the physical environment, they freed us from it. Yeah. Hence, making it possible for us to reassert the centrality of the human being. I, I think, if, if I, don't, I don't have it all right on this, but you know, um, it was horrible. They were subjected to a crime that can never be forgotten. And, and it haunts uh, the Korean people and Koreans in America, you know what I'm saying? However, and this is the difference between the North and the South. You destroyed our physical environment, but you did not destroy us. Mm. And I, I think the brilliance of this, and, and of course, you know, 
believe me, it does not diminish Marx or Lenin at all. It does not. But what it showed that in the struggle to elevate humanity, what we call democracy, humanity can find a path. This is, I mean, it's, it's quite unbelievable. And this is what I think, you know, we have to propagate as part of humanity's experience, which is ours as well. We have to learn from this great uh, experiment. Um, I guess, you know, we talk about this. I'm a part of the planning to a certain extent. I'm not, enough, just, I'm a, but, yeah, but this idea of democracy as a testable hypothesis. We're making an opposite claim to the ruling class of this country. We're saying that the North Korean people have built not just a socialist economy, but even more important than that, a democracy predicated upon their own experience, guided by the philosophy of Juche. This is a world historic contribution. It clarifies humanity. We learn about humanity. That's what I want to say. You know, both testable hypothesis. Can you build democracy, which is the rule of the people from a society that was attempted to be bombed into oblivion and then went through an arduous uh, march of hunger and other things in the 90s. But resilience and being sustained. I think North Korea, uh, and I guess that's, you know, because I guess you're, you know, we were talking about this. How do we introduce North Korea to a American Korean population who have been told that North Korea, which is really them, is the worst thing that ever happened in Korean civilization? We're saying the opposite. But we're saying that let's take both hypotheses. Let us test them. I think there is something so rich and profound that you literally can talk about a pedagogy, mm. uh, a teaching um, curriculum based upon North Korea the teaching of even democratic theory from the experience of North Korea, which is both universal and concrete to Korea and to Asia, by the way. This is why you can't rule out 
the influence of Buddhism mm -hmm. or Confucianism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all operating uh, in this grand civilizational synthesis mm. that is still in the process of being realized. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Nori? <laughs> oh, sorry, I was murmuring. Huh? I was murmuring under my breath. <laughs> what were you doing? Oh, I was try I'm trying not to curse, but I was murmuring shit under my breath. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Can I just can I just say something related to that? You know, like um, I've read accounts of like actually what was the experience of the Korean War like for the people in the north, and when all these bombings were happening, people had to go into caves underground, like naturally, right? But people would spend, you know, sometimes like not even days, but weeks, months underground, and like. The thing is that, you know, for the American imperialists, the only thing that they can imagine of what's happening underground is just people cowering in fear the whole time. But actually, like, the way that they see it is, like, this was almost like a womb, like the womb of the, for the birth of a new people. And um, I think that that stuff can't be taken, it can't be taken lightly because it's like, yeah, that, and then I think, yeah, the experience of the 90s with the arduous march, like, both of those were hugely formative for the the birth and then the continual making of a new people and that's what imperialism is unable to to anticipate to take seriously and to even wrap its brain around and that's why the north koreans have been so resilient because you know one of the things that i've been thinking about is and even you know this goes to like conversations that you've been having doc in like various interviews like what was the experience of the collapse of the soviet union for those on the left in the United States, but also if you're a tiny country, North Korea, and you literally see the entire world collapsing around you, you know, and you're faced with the, either the option of, okay, we're gonna go through the route of like, you know, what was called perestroika, you know, opening up, like basically capitulating to the West, or we're gonna have to find our own way. You know, actually it's like, it's just, I like, I can't even wrap my brain around what that must've been like during that period of the mid nineties when you see the entire world collapsing around you. And also then you're suddenly hit with all these catastrophic floods, natural disasters and all of that. But you know, the thing that Kim Jong-il says in that period, like he has this essay about like, basically like the priority of ideological work, but he says what the socialist countries in the Eastern Bloc didn't realize is that under socialism, the motive force of history is no longer class relations, but ideology. Ideology becomes a motive force of history in socialist societies. And that because they were so focused on the class relations, they missed that actually like what's propelling our societies forward or what should propel our societies forward is the ideological struggle. And, and yeah, I, th I think it's like that, like because the North Koreans had already been working on that stuff for the past couple of decades, I think that was what gave them the confidence to be able to be like, okay, like the whole world has basically gone into pieces we don't know what's going to happen. We're in for a very rough period, similar to Cuba, but like we are confident in the ability of our people to make it through. And because we also have a kind of scientific approach to how we can do this, which is like incorporating the Marxism, like the principles of socialism, but more we have a theory about human beings and what human beings are capable of. 
um, and that this is going to be our weapon in terms of how we're going to be able to make it through this extraordinary period um, of the collapse of the, the world, like the world communist movement, the, like the Soviet Union and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's just really, really fascinating, I think. And it's relevant for, you know, what our hypothesis is of what will be the conditions for the birth of a new people. Like, it won't be like people having to go underground because we're being bombed, okay. hopefully. Like, that's like, our fingers are crossed that that doesn't happen. But like, that there are certain just experiences in world history that are so instrumental in shaping new, like new sensibilities, like new values, like a new way of rela like relating as human beings to one another, like a new sense of what like the people feel they're capable of. Because yeah, like Kim Jong-il is like, what we mean by giving priority to ideological work is we need to impress on the people of our country that each person feels that what they do, like what they do in terms of their work, how they relate to each other, what they feel is their responsibility as individuals, like on the backs of North Korean people rests the future of humanity. We need to impress that on the people of our country, that what they're doing has consequences for all of humanity, even though we're a small country. And I think that that is like, if the North Koreans can do that, like, I just feel like that we have to have the same optimism and belief and seek to instill that same sense of like importance and responsibility also for the American people to realize that what happens in America has so much consequence for the rest of the world and that we can shape the future of humanity too if we believe that we're capable of doing that. Um, but yeah. I just want to say one small other thing. You know, it's it's like saying that we could lose everything, but as long as we have the people, we have the future. And it's true. It's true. And um, you know, <laughs> you know, like you said, Jerry, we might not come. We might not have to bury and burrow under the under the ground, but our people are being buried by ideas oh, yes. and propaganda that tries to take their souls, their spirit, their minds from them. And uh, this might be even more difficult. Um, the destruction of humanity literally from the day that a child is born. You've already discounted him or her. You've discounted their parents. You've diminished them. So in a sense, we are buried under propaganda and lies and distortions, etc. But, and here, here's where I agree with, with Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and the Korean people. It is the people that can resolve the great problems of our time. Not elites, not universities, not hedge funds or 
Wall Street or Silicon Valley people, but it is the people. And I think if you want to test that hypothesis, look at North Korea. Probably the most extraordinary society on the planet. They did not have, and I put quotes around this, the luxury that China had because the period of this rapid economic growth uh, was in a period of rapprochement with the United States. There's never been a rapprochement between the United States and North Korea. Came close to it with Trump. But then Bolton and the ruling military elites undermined that. He couldn't do it. But that did not alter the trajectory. I guess the last thing I said, this Juche philosophy ties elites or leaders of society in new ways to the people. It connects them. It infuses in those who, let's say, have high educations and high positions a predisposition to love the peasant who has none of that. A social, it's, I guess you could call it some way, a social contract, but it's way more than that. Because at the end of the day, it is the foundation of a way of governing the state of the whole people. In other words, I'll end on this. Could it be that North Korea is closer to a communist society than any other society in the world? Hmm. Yeah, that's all I want to say. Okay, I, I could try to read some comments, but there's been a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, we should listen to them because we're obviously not going to get to Black Reconstruction today. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Okay. I did. We did yes. get to Black Reconstruction. Can I actually read a paragraph from the, oh, yeah. the piece that reflects what Doc you were saying just now? Um, so it says, Revolutionary practice is a struggle to realize independence for the popular masses, and it is the masses who carry out the struggle. Therefore, it is important in the study of philosophy to reflect the demands and aspirations of the popular masses correctly, evolve the theory by generalizing their experiences of struggle, and make it the theory of the popular masses themselves. In the exploitative society, the reactionary ruling class makes use of philosophy for defending and rationalizing their reactionary ruling system, trying to make it the monopoly of the philosophers who, acts, who act as spokesmen in their interests. We consider the popular masses to be ignorant people who have nothing to do with philosophy. Um, but I read that just to support what you were saying earlier, which is that it grounds essentially the... Um, 
people of the North Korean government in the masses themselves, in how, what their relationship is. And actually the only way I was able to understand this is what is really by Du Bois. Because in Black Reconstruction, Du Bois talks about how, like there's this idea that um, the masses of men are ignorant, but actually, like what does it say when the masses of men are actually not ignorant and are capable of governing? Um, are capable of theorizing and having a philosophy. Um, but yeah. What chapter was that from? Uh, for the Du Bois one? Wait, what did you just read from? Yeah, that was from Kim, I think, the philosophy of China. They're so in sync with each other that you can't tell them apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. I was like, oh, what chapter did Du Bois write that in? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was also thinking so much of Russia and America. I mean, the famous, I mean, famous for us because <laughs> we've looked at it a lot. But when he talks about, um, uh, it must be Marxian. And, and he's talking about the uh, Asiatic, uh, the, the emergence of communism in Africa and Asia. And he says it must be Marxian in its division of income according to need, but it must be distinctly Asiatic in its use of the vertical clan division of family and tie instead of reaction towards a new bourgeoisie. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it, would, it would take a new way of thinking on Asiatic lines to work this out. But there would be a chance that out of India, out of Buddhism and Shintoism, out of the age old virtues of Japan and China itself to provide for this different kind of communism, a thing which so far all attempts at a socialistic state in Europe have failed to produce. That is a communism with Asiatic stress on character, on goodness, on spirit, through family loyalty and affection might warm, ward off Thermidor, might stop the tendency of the Western socialistic state to freeze into bureaucracy. It might be through the philosophy of Gandhi and Tagore of Japan and China create a really to really create a vast democracy into which the ruling dictatorship of the proletariat would fuse and deliquesce and thus instead of socialism even become a stark negation of the freedom of thought and a tyranny of action and propaganda of science and art it would expand to a great democracy of the spirit um, which is it's pretty much exactly what we've yeah, whole and yeah, from Russia and America, Can you send that? I think chapter. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I think I got the searchable copy from you, Nuri, but it's uh, it's chapter four of Russia and America. I'll send it on WhatsApp. Um, I don't probably have to say this, but like the whole thing about philosophy is like because what you also said, Doc, like Jute, Jute, sorry, I don't know, um, allows to connect to the peasantry, like allows to connect to the essence of the people of the country of civilization. And I'm like, well, what's up with Europe and why? It's a different, yeah, it's so important. Maybe we can't get to no, that I now, said, I but said, it is so valuable. And that's it. why Europe is not the United States precisely for the reasons that Du Bois uh, illuminates that it is Africa in America mm. that in many ways makes America not a European country. 
makes it different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Canada is more a European country than the United States is. Mm. You know, that's the same thing. Dang. Uh, so, well, let, let's hear some of the commentary, if y'all don't mind. I'm so interested. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people talking. Um, one person was asking, is the free school trying to undertake the task of developing a uniquely American way towards socialism or something like that? And <laughs> yeah, um, someone, uh, DJ Elf was also saying he had a theory about the naming process of Korean, of Korean people, which I think is a general hypothesis about the uh, role of Confucianism in Korean culture which I guess can be debated. Um, and then people, and then a few people were saying that they're gonna be at the March, like next weekend's March rally in DC. Um, and yeah, just to clarify, we you know we've, been, we've been also been planning this Korea event for a long time. We're not doing it to, you know, this wasn't intended to be like a, anything replacing the March. March. Um, but that being said, if, yeah, if people are, in town or free either the Friday evening next week or Saturday all throughout the day. Um, we'd love to see people there in person at the Asian Arts Initiative in Philadelphia and Chinatown. Um, you can check out our social media to see all the details of the event um, or just visit koreapeace.org um, just to see the details. And also um, we, have a fun, uh, we have a GoFundMe fundraiser um, which is primi primarily uh, raising funds for um, renting the venue at Asian Arts Initiative and also um, providing food and refreshments for attendees. And lastly, uh, to uh, fund the printing of materials for this exhibit that we've been talking about, which we're all really excited about. So um, we're close to the goal, but it would be really great if people, if they haven't already, um, we'd really appreciate donations on the GoFundMe, which is also linked in the uh, the koreapeace.org uh, website. Um, but yeah, just some logistical details. Oh, go ahead. Wait, there was one comment that I just really liked. So I think I mentioned it before, but Christopher Romero had said, Du Bois, King, Kim Il-sung, no matter where they come from, these humans are examples as to how our capacity as humans are progressing with time. And oh, and Stan Wood also said that he's excited about the opportunity to learn about Korea. He says, it will increase my understanding of the world and the challenge of making it better. So I feel like that's kind of the note that I feel like would be good to sort of conclude on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, with Nuri's remarks, <laughs> and thank you everyone for joining us in the comments section on both Facebook and YouTube. Um, we're excited for you to join us next week for our Korea event. Um, and so we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.